Hi, everybody. Welcome here on a beautiful Sunday night, a little bit before Pesach. And joining us with Rabbi Schaefer. And uh, tonight's shir is going to be amazing. We're looking forward. Tonight is shir 138. And uh, was Rabbi Schaefer, I didn't tell you this beforehand. Tonight is the three-year anniversary of Coach Menachem Berkel. It started three years ago, the end of March. The beginning of COVID it was three years ago. Oh, well. was... Uh, it's good. It's, 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 it's and uh, that's when we started. Then we're here three years later. Who would think, huh? I would not have thought. I look back at the first video. I was so young. I was so good looking. I don't know what happened. Whatever. But that was three years ago. Okay, anyway, <laughs> let's get started. Again, just show you to the platform for people who are advertising it all over and posting it on all the websites and people posting it on the WhatsApp and emailing it to friends and family. As Rabbi Moshe Weinberger said, this is Sichas Haverim. It's a place to talk things out and try to get some clarity, try to get some chizik. So we appreciate that. And let's keep on growing. Um, again, if anybody wants to join, every Sunday get the WhatsApp, please WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066. Again, that's 848-525-0066. Or you can go to menachembernpal.com and sign up for his weekly emails. He sends out an email about who's coming on Sunday. And he sends out the recap emails and all the important information. You can go there and sign up. All the people that are watching this on YouTube, you can click on the like button and um, you can click on the subscribe button on Hashem when Menachem uploads every week his videos. You could uh, get a ding. You can get to watch all the videos and see everything firsthand. But of course, there's nothing better than being live. So for those that, you know, missed the live, you can at least second chance to watch it later. But live is the place to be. I want to thank first all the advertising sponsors for promoting us all over. First day the Lakewood Scoop from Lakewood for promoting us. And Ellie, Ellie and Ariel from Five Town Central promoting us in the Five Towns area. Special thank you to Chayla Kaufman from JCN for promoting us on all the Jewish digital platforms and getting the word out. Coach Menachem show is sponsored by OKClarity.com. OKClarity.com is the place for any year to find a top-notch therapist, coach, or nutritionist. OKClarity's professionals are vetted and have extensive experience working with the Jewish community. And yes, you can even find the world-famous Coach Menachem Berfold. So if you want to join, they can text, text them and go to the website or you can join their statuses. They have a lot of interesting information over there. The number is 917-426-1495. Again, that's 917-426-1495. And uh, please join. Again, if anybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30, we have different Rabbonim, different topics. You always have Coach Menachem. You always have Oshi Parnas, Arnoi Achrid. You always have the same the same chevra. But we bring on the best of the best in Kalei to try to bring out different topics and really clarify things. Tonight, we have the schus and the honor of having the world-famous Rebetzin Schaefer from the Shmuz, the highlight of the Shmuz when I was a kid. I remember the Shmuz was, was, you know, the big thing. Still here, knocking away, schmoozing it out, and we appreciate him coming back on. Rebetzin Schaefer, it's a very big honor to have you here, first of all, because, you know, when we bring somebody on, we don't bring them back so quickly for a second time, and now a third time, you know. Say by Edus, you know, Kivin you don't come back to say Nacha Edus. So it shows, it shows you testament of how the wild Rabbi Schaefer is. We appreciate you coming on again. And Hashem tonight is going to be a powerful shear. Rabbi Schaefer, just uh, put on your seatbelt on your shear because we're going to wrap you up a little bit, okay? You okay with that? I'm okay. Uh, Osher, I want to give you <clears throat> first of your shkayach. Wait, wait, we're not ready. We're not ready. Give me a second. Give me a second. No, I just want to give you a shkayach first. You're doing oh. a great Thank you. Trying. We're trying. Listen, I'm doing it. I'm doing it to, to help Kaiser. That's really what it is. Okay, tonight's share 138, and the president, the CEO, and the CFO, and the COO of the Shir, Arna Yachfried, will give the Gematria what 138 ties in tonight's share. Rabbi, Rabbi Shafi, do you know what it is? Uh, no, I don't. Gematria the Shmuz. No, no. Arna, what's the Gematria? So actually, this week we have two Gematrias to 138. Havana Malaya, and 138 is also Malay Kol Tov, which means we're hoping to get 
a complete and full understanding that we should realize that ourselves and our spouses are really all full of good. And through this, we should be able to harmony and peace and elevate our Shalom bias really to the next level. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Okay, we're going to start off first with Coach Menachem Bernfeld. There's a lot of topics on the flyer. I don't know what's going on over there. I'm confused. What are we doing here tonight? What are we talking about tonight? Are we talking about Pesach, Shavuos, Sukkot? Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you very much. And I want to thank everyone and welcome everyone to another Let's Get Real with Coach Menachem. And Baruch Hashem, yes, it's number 138. And like we heard, it's three years with a lot of Siyata Deshmaya and a lot of work. And uh, Baruch Hashem, with Hashem's help, we're able to continue with Hashem's help, with your help, with everybody showing up. And Hashem should help us. We should be able to continue to help Tal Yisrael. So you're talking about marriage or maybe Pesach. I think Pesach or every Yontif, it's hectic out there. There's a lot going on and people become more aware of whether they're doing it your way, they're not doing it your way. You would love if they would do it different or they would do it and they're not doing it. So it does bring up a lot of um, marriage issues, which we will be talking about. But it's important when we talk about marriage, there's a lot of levels. You can be talking about um, the person that just got married and Baruch Hashem, Things are working out, but they're starting to see small things that they're they're not sure, and they have that that something in, in their mind. Maybe I made a mistake, and uh, here we are to hear. No, listen, slowly. Let's figure this out. You know, we're not the same, and we, we have to figure out how we're going to do this. Or talk about those who are married many years, and maybe married or some kids, and they don't believe anything can change anymore. It is what it is, and this is the way it is. And, um, well, you showed up tonight, and hopefully, even for those who feel that they're married many years, or their issues are so big that they don't believe it can change, hopefully you'll be able to pick up some ideas. It is important before we start, for somebody that's struggling, if somebody is in a crisis, listening to these ideas can be hard because if in your mind you think it's not possible and here you hear we have somebody who deals, Rabbi Schaefer deals with this day in, day out and he sees results and he tells you do A, B, and C and you're thinking to yourself, what's he talking about? This does not work. It's not going to work for me. And you might feel a little bit irritated and you're going to want to jump off the Zoom call. It could happen. And that makes sense. What I wanted, you know, was first validate. And if you can stay, start try to listen. Try to hear what he's saying, even though you think it doesn't work for you. But just write it down, take it in. And maybe, maybe somewhere it's going to fall in to see, maybe I can try something small, try something here, try it there. So hopefully you'll see some change. So a bracha for all of us, for all of those. We all need it. Our marriage should get better. We should take it to the next level. We need a lot of healing so that we can take it to the next level. In Mitz Hashem, we should have a lot of siyata deshmaya and as a big host, have Rabbi Shefer with us. He has a lot of knowledge, a lot of experience, and hopefully he'll give us a little bit, some tips that we can use 
that could help us in our marriage. Beautiful opening. Somebody just texted me one thirty days. So, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's good to know. Okay, so let's get into it, Rabbi Schaefer. Um, let's start. Okay, so tonight's year, we put a lot of topics in there, but it's really all going to tie together. How to finally get your spouse to change? We all know that's the we all know that's the main thing why we're here tonight to figure out the magic answer and what to do. Uh, next, we also put on taking our marriages to the next level: roles and responsibilities of the husband and the wife. So we really try to cram everything together tonight. We're going to do the shit in schus of a friend of mine, the five the five month old your baby when he's a bigger fushalema. Hashavibas nechamerifka or fushalema. Schus of all the hundreds of people here tonight. I'm sure the thousand people that will be mezaka from tonight's share. It's just for the baby, she got a full refuge lemma and can we Yiddish of the Suda Saidah. Rabbi Schaefer, before I'm going to read your bio, number one, do you have that video book with you? I do. As a matter of fact, I'm going to explain a little bit what's going on. So I'm gonna, before I read Rabbi Schaefer's bio, um, Rabbi Schaefer is going to be giving away three video books of his 10 dumb mistakes that smart couples make. There it is. It's a video book. I'm going to explain a little bit more about it. My uh, one of my children, my older Bachran, sometimes uh, he goes to sleep. He takes the book. I said, "What are you doing?" He says, "I'm uh, I'm learning chassan classes." <laughs> so um, it's a very it's an amazing book. It's it's done very well. Um, so please um, ask live. We're going to get to it. Rabbi Schaefer will be giving it out with a live question. Only good live question. If it's not a good live question, I'm not, I'm not giving it. It's got to be solid, solid. And I'm going to read Rabbi, Rabbi Schaefer's bio, and then Rabbi Schaefer, please open it up, and we have a lot to cover tonight. So let's 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 the night's young, but let let's cover it. Okay. Okay. C.N. Schaefer is the founder of Paris B'nai Torah, yeshiva program working for the Shmuz.com. Rabbi Schaefer was a high school rabbi for more than 20 years. I could probably put more than that by now. When his Rosh Hashiva Yeshiva Chavetz Chaim, Rabbi Henech Leibowitz, requested to undertake a very special project for creating an engaging learning program for working people. Following the Rosh Hashiva instruction, Rabbi Schaefer founded TBT, the Shmuz.com, in 2003. The impact of TBT and the Shmuz.com was felt immediately. And his latest book is one of the hottest sellers in the, in the, in the bookstores. He's made a video audio book out of it, like the show, 10, dumb, 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. So it's Chosen again, Rabbi Schaefer, to have you here. Please give us a very short opening, not too short, but very short. And uh, we have a lot to cover tonight. So let's let's get into it. Okay, Urshi, first of all, thank you for welcoming me back. And Coach Renachem, thank you. Okay, so let's begin. In the United States of America in 1990, the divorce rate was approximately 6%. The divorce rate today is hovering at approximately 50%. Now, even though in the firm community, it's nowhere near that, Baruch Hashem, but nevertheless, it has skyrocketed exponentially. And we're hearing more and more about the Sheva Bracha's divorce, the Sheva Shloshim get. And the question is, what happened? So I'm going to present two choices. Um, <clears throat> choice number one is Hashem used to be very good at being Mazavik Zivugim. But Hashem is uh, no longer uh, that good at that job. So that's a little bit, of, it's called kfira and it's silly, but there's another choice. And it's the other choice that I think is reality. On a regular basis, I get couples in front of me. Now, again, I've been doing this for 15 years now. I've dealt with hundreds and hundreds of couples. And I get a couple in front of me and I listen to him. I listen to her and I say, I don't believe it. There's no way in the world you guys recognize the damage you're doing to each other and what you're doing to the relationship. And when you see couple after couple doing these same things, you begin to put together the patterns. And I have a guarantee. Here's, let me start with my guarantee. If your marriage is good, or if your marriage is great or mediocre, I have a guarantee that there's something that can make it much better. And I'd like to tell you what that one thing is. But before I tell you what that one thing is, 
I'll share with you one important observation. There are three parts to a successful marriage. There's commitment, there's love, and there's learning to live together. Commitment comes from knowing that Hashem chose the perfect match for me and we were designed before we entered this world. 40 days before, that creates the commitment. And love in the marriage is the glue. That's the working on the relationship, the bonding, the connecting. But the third part is probably the most difficult part, and that's learning to live together. Now, I have a Sahara. One of my Sahara's is when I give a marriage workshop, I give out a sheet of paper. And a sheet of paper has the following question on it. If you could change one or two things about your marriage that would make a dramatic difference in it, and what would those one or two things be? Now, the reason why I say it's the Sahara is because I know what the answer is going to be. The answer invariably is going to be something about my spouse, something my spouse does or my spouse doesn't do, and something my spouse should do or doesn't shouldn't do. And I'd like to share with you that it should be rather obvious that there's not a lot that you're going to do to change your spouse, but there's an awful lot that you could do to change yourself, and that changes so many things in the relationship. So let me begin. I have a word of wisdom to share with the guys on this call. Gentlemen, if you would like to be happy, this is a word of wisdom. If you would like to be happy, my word of wisdom is let your wife know that you cherish her, that you love her, and let her know in word, deed, and action that she is number one in your life. And if you let her know that, she will be happy. Now, that may seem obvious, and it may seem clear, but I cannot tell you how many guys dropped the ball on this one. And this is the biggest mistake that many, many smart people make. You know, the book is called The 10 Really Dumb Mistakes That Very Smart Couples Make. The number one mistake that men make is they forget that it's the husband's responsibility to romance his wife. The husband's responsible for the romance in the marriage. The husband's responsible to plan the dates. The husband's responsible for the gift notes. The husband's responsible for everything that in, involved in the creating that bond of love. Now, I, I've spoken about this many times before. Usher, can I do my little story, my vignette? Okay, I get the call from the woman. Everybody, Schaefer, uh, can I talk to you? Sure, what's up? It's my husband. Uh, what's, what's the problem? Well, he's a good guy. He learns. He spends time with the kids. He has a good job. He's responsible. I say, so far, it sounds pretty good. What's the problem? The problem is, the problem is, I don't love him. I don't love him. Okay, how long are you married? 10 years? How many kids? Five kids? So what do you do? What do you do when you get the call and the woman says she's married for 10 years, five kids, and she doesn't love her husband? So I ask the question that I always ask in that case. I ask, Madam, tell me, last month, how many times did you and your husband go out? The go out doesn't mean to a bar mitzvah, to wedding, or to in-laws. How many times last month did you and your husband go out to spend time together, to bond, to connect, to just be together and share a connection? And the answer invariably is we didn't, okay? The month before that, how many times did you go out? And we didn't. The month before that, the month, by about eight or nine, I stop and then I say these words, madam, don't you understand? You're like two ships in the night. If you're not gonna bond, if you're not gonna connect, if you're not gonna work on the love in the marriage, guess what? You guys are gonna be distant and apart and very shortly there's gonna be bickering and fighting. And that is, again, the very first of the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make, not working on the love in the marriage, but gentlemen, this is the point. And this is where the guys drop the ball. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to plan the date. It's your responsibility to send the gifts and the texts and the love notes and to call two, three times a day just to check in. But why? 
if she wanted to go out, I told her, just you choose a place and I'll be there. You dropped the ball big time. You just blew it. Why? Because a woman at the core of her essence needs to know that she's loved. I've said this many times before, but it bears repeating. The, the Stipler writes in Igeris, if a woman doesn't know that her husband cherishes her, if she doesn't know that her husband loves her, it's close to Pikuach Nefesh. At the core of her essence, she has that need to be loved, to be cherished. And if she doesn't feel it, she's going to be very unhappy. Hence, you're going to be very unhappy. And I'd like to share with you the one interesting observation that a lot of gentlemen don't get. Most women in the beginning of their marriage are insecure about their husband's love. When I say the beginning of the marriage, the first 30 or 35 years, most women don't really believe that their husband loves them. You know, like that girl with the daisy, he loves me, he loves me not. It is my firm belief that most women do not firmly believe that they're number one, that they're cherished, that the husband fundamentally cares about them. And if your wife doesn't get that message in word, deed, and action, you will be one unhappy person. Why? Because she's going to be unhappy and your life is going to be very, very unhappy. And this one is on the guys. I have to say this again and again. And gentlemen, it's your responsibility. The husband's responsible for the romance in the marriage. Again, that means the gifts, the love notes, the mini, the mini vacations, everything that are involved. And I'm going to say these words. A couple is supposed to be having an ongoing love affair. That's what the nature of the relationship is. Because again, it's commitment, love, and learning to live together. But if the love isn't there, that's the glue of the marriage. You're in very, very deep straits. So that one is on the men. It is your responsibility for the romance. Now, ladies, uh, at this point, I get very popular. And the ladies say, yeah, see, see, it's all the guy's fault. It's all the... So I'd like to share with you that it's true that the guys do some things that are not so smart in the marriage. However, it is my firm belief that many women do things that make it difficult for their husband to like them, let alone love them. So I'm going to pick the one, the one single mistake that women do. Here we go. It is my firm belief that every young woman, as she walks down that aisle, has a 10-point home improvement policy in mind. And it's that guy under the chuppah who is the recipient of her 10-point home improvement policy. First of all, those ties got to go and those dumb jokes and coming late. Now, we'll give her credit. The first uh, first week, the Sheva Bracha, she behaves, she doesn't say a word. But shortly thereafter, she begins her home improvement policy. And she explains to Moshe how he'd be much more efficient if he'd be on time. And he doesn't get all warm and fuzzy. So clearly, he didn't get it. So she explains it even more. You see... If you'd be neat and you'd be on time, you'd accomplish much more. And he doesn't like well up with warm feelings. So obviously he doesn't get it. So she makes a joke. Moshi, how do you even find yourself in that desk? <laughs> and he doesn't well up with that sense of love. So here's the point. What she's trying to do is something that's disastrous to any marriage. And it's disastrous. And we all know it on some level. But I cannot tell you how much time husbands and wives both spend one trying to change the other and here's the point it never works but you know why it never works because if i challenge you to tell me what's the one thing if you filled out that seminar and you filled out that sheet and i asked you well the one thing you could change i almost guarantee it'll be your strength and your spouse's weakness it's going to be your winning trait and your spouse's weakness that you can't understand why can't he just change and I think this is the number one mistake that women make, men make. We all do it. 
In fact, I have an expression that I like to use. We become experts at what our spouse does wrong, not intentionally, but we can't help but notice it. And we can't help but notice how much more effective they would be, how much better off they would be, how much more they would accomplish. And out of love, out of concern, we try to change a spouse. And guess what? It never works. But you know why it never works? Because ADD is hardwired at birth. Anxiety is a, a reality. Now, there are different life coping skills, and we could all work on things. But when you understand the reason why your spouse is the way he or she is, is because that's the way Hashem created them, it becomes a lot easier to deal with it. But this incessant need to change my spouse, and if only my spouse would change, and if only my spouse would change, everything would be better, would be wonderful, is one of the most destructive forces in a marriage. And you know what? Usha, are you still with us? You went, you went on vacation, Usha? Usha, you left? I could stop here. I'm done. Gentlemen, if you would do this, guys, listen to me. If you would show her that she's cherished, and ladies, if you would stop trying to change him, I guarantee your marriage would increase, dramatic increase, dramatic improvement. And nobody believes me. And they all say the words, yeah, 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 we'll do it, we'll do it, we'll do it. They don't do it. And it, I, I cannot tell you how many times I've said this to people, and the few people who listen and actually do it, it makes a dramatic difference. But um, basically, um, uh, it's, uh, it's an uphill battle. I'm stopping here. Urshi, you open the floor. Questions? Okay, okay. Beautiful, Rabbi Schaefer. Thank you so much. Again, just to repeat, anybody who asks a live question, Rabbi Schaefer is going to send them a video book. Rabbi Schaefer, who should they email with the question and their address? R-E-N-A at the schmooze.com. T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. R-E-N-A at the schmooze.com. T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. Okay, amazing. Um, let's start off with a poll, get everybody get everybody riled up, and then uh, Rabbi Shaver, don't forget we have that other poll later about the date night yeah. things. So we're gonna start yeah. first with these three questions, and then we have a poll for later just to get it just to get into the crux of it. Okay, so three question poll. You ready? Everybody can see it. Okay, the first question: when you are on date night, what is the main purpose? Okay. Number one, talk about all the issues with a clear mind. Number two, to relax, unwind, and escape from the stresses of everyday life. Number three, to have fun and create new memories together. Or number four, just to get out of the day-to-day chaos of normal life. What is the purpose of that date night? Forget about when you go. Number two, how do you and your spouse typically resolve conflicts? Answer honestly. We talk it out calmly and usually come to a resolution. We argue until we reach a resolution. We avoid conflict and hope it goes away by itself. Or option four, we seek outside help from a rov or a therapist. Third question, if you could change one thing in your marriage about your spouse, if you could change, let's forget about the marriage. If you could change one thing in your spouse, what would it be? Okay? Four options. One of them. Not all of them. Obviously, everybody wants all four. One of them. Okay? Number one would be Midos, his general character traits. Number two, general appearance. Be honest. Number three, Yiddishkeit and how they deal with the children. Or number four, how they deal with stressful situations. So those are the three very easy questions to answer. Everybody should know this off the top of their head. Now, just answer the best of your ability, whatever you think, and be honest, anonymous, so doesn't you know nobody's uh, holding against you. And uh, we'll uh, get the polls, we'll we'll share them, and then the Rabbi Schaefer will speak on them, and then we'll get into some live questions. Okay. Somebody says, repeat number three. How do you and your spouse resolve conflicts? I'm sorry. 
If you could change one thing in your spouse, what would it be? Midos, general appearance, Yiddishkeit, and how they deal with the children, or number four, how they deal with stressful situations. Five seconds. Okay, let's share with everybody, okay? Looks like the people are still voting. Another minute. Okay, Rabbi Shep, are you ready to get into it? I am ready. Let's go. We're sharing with everybody. Here we go. First question. What, when you're on date night, what is the main purpose? Only 5% of the people said to talk about all the issues with a clear mind. 33% of the people feel it's to relax, unwind, and escape the stresses of everyday life. Number four, to have to have and create new memories together, 46%. So most people feel it's to have fun and create new memories together. And 15% is to just to get out of the day-to-day chaos of normal life. Chef, you want to comment on this one before we go to the next one? I love it. I think most people got it right. Uh, the next question is how many people actually do it? You see, oh, okay, we'll, get, we'll get to that. I'll do the poll on that afterwards. Let's do the poll. Let, me, let me comment on this. Do you understand the importance? Meaning, if there isn't a connection, if there isn't a bonding, if you guys aren't lovers, then everything in life is going to be an issue. There, listen, to be honest with you, men and women are vastly different. Life creates so many stresses. And there's so many differences, how you bring up the kids, what you do with this, where you spend your money, where you spend your time. There, if you guys don't have a very powerful bond of love, if you're not constantly rejuvenating that bond of love, there's going to be friction, there's going to be tension. And in a very short time, life is going to be very difficult. I'll share with you something very interesting. My wife and I took the COVID test. The COVID test is not what a lot of people think it is. The COVID test is when you spend six months in one house with your spouse, how do you get along? And can I tell you something? Berkshire, we married 36 years. It was beautiful. You know what it's like to have your best friend there and you're always together. You're always, it's the most beautiful thing in the world. But that requires an awful lot of working on the marriage. The first part of working on the marriage is to spend time together. And now I like the idea to relax, unwind, escape from stress of everyday life. That's nice have fun, create new memories together, just to be a couple. A couple means you share, you bond, you connect, and it has to be regular. It has to be done on a regular basis. Now, again, gentlemen, I'm not letting you guys get off the hook. Even after you plan the date, and even after you made sure it happens, there's still a lot more you have to do. It's the gifts, it's the love notes, it's a text during the day. It's everything involved in letting your wife know that she is number one in your eyes. And can I tell you something, can I tell you something very, very, very interesting? I was tempted to write two books, one for women, how to deal with the husband, and one for men, how to deal with their wives. The name for the book for women was going to be called How to Train Your Lizard. You know, guys are cold-blooded, you know, how to, how to train your lizard. And all the women laughed, and they found it very funny. It would have sold many, many copies. The problem was, when they found out the name of the book for the men, how to deal with their wives, they weren't so happy. The name of the book for the men is How to Tame Your Dragon. You see, if you treat a woman right, she's happy and well. But if not, the flames come out. So even though that's a joke, it's not a joke at all. I created a 12-week. We did, I, did a, I had a bunch of men. I took men on a 12-week Zoom sessions. And I taught them. For 12 weeks, we spent exactly this Nakuda. How to tell your wife in word, deed, and action that she's number one, that she's cherished, to show that she's loved. Because when you do that, she's happy. And if not, guess what? There's flames coming out, and you're the one who's going to be burnt. So, gentlemen, this one's on you. And say, if you don't do this, I, I got nothing to say. If you do this, 
I guarantee it's not going to solve all of mankind's problems, but suddenly everything is different. The relationship is different. The whole tone of the marriage is different and things change in a major way. So that's my, that's my spiel on this poll. Okay, let's go to the next poll. How do you and your spouse typically resolve conflicts? So it's actually the first three are pretty split. Um, 37% of the people say we talk about calmly usually come to resolution. 32% of the people say we argue until we, get, until we reach a resolution. 25% of the people say we avoid conflict and hope it goes away by itself. And only 6% of the people seek outside help from a rov or a therapist. Okay. Can I comment on that, Usher? You know what the right way to do it is? It absolutely, totally depends on the personalities of the marriage. There is no right way, no wrong way. There's only one thing that I can tell you. What's worth fighting about in your marriage? And the answer is nothing. Because if you win, you lose. And if you lose, you lose, right? If you... If you win this battle, it's your best friend you just crush. And if you lose this battle, you just got crushed. You know, if you win a win a lawsuit, you don't talk to the guy for the next 50 years, it's fine. But this is just the only thing I can tell you is <clears throat> fighting is not a way because fighting only leads to everything bad. But the simple reality is many couples fight regularly, and that doesn't reflect on having a bad marriage. As a matter of fact, oftentimes the conflict is fine. And the key isn't whether you fight or not. The key is, do you know how to then repair the damage and learn for the next time? There are many happily married couples who fight because they're both fiery personalities and they can't help but get under each other's skin. And that's just the nature of, but that doesn't mean they can't have a great marriage, provided they know how to do the next step to repair the damage and move on. As a matter of fact, sometimes when couples just are avoidant, meaning they don't, you know, they don't, they sweep it under the rug and they don't discuss it. Oftentimes what happens is they get more and more distant and I don't think that's a good way at all. The bottom line is it depends on your personality. It depends on your temperament. The only thing I can tell you is it's not worth fighting. If you have a sheet about something, it's never worth it. And if you could go to a rov, you're much better off. But getting into fights, unfortunately, is one of the basics of most marriages. And it doesn't mean you can't have a great marriage, provided that you're able to then do the next steps of repairing the damage and moving on. So I don't know if that addresses that poll, but that's my thoughts on the issue. Okay, the last poll. If you could change one thing in your spouse, what would it be? And shockingly, there's a there's a 50 58% answer in one of them. So one said 20% said Midos. Only 7% of the people said general appearance. 15% of the people said Yiddishkeit and how they deal with their children. But 58% of the people said how they deal with stressful situations. I would love to know what percentage of those people said how they deal with stressful situations were men talking about their wives. So let me share something with you. <clears throat> Women on average suffer anxiety and depression at twice the rate as do men. I don't know why it is, but typically a woman is often more hardwired towards anxiety. And it seems to be much more common in women than men. And this becomes a very real source of contention in the marriage. Why can't she just calm down? Why does she have to be the drama queen? Why is she making such a big deal about everything? And I have a very important observation on that point, and that is the two most important words in your marriage. Um, can I share with you what they are, Usher? If I, when did you do a poll? What, what are the two most important words in your marriage? Oh, that's a good poll to ask. What are the two most important words in your marriage? Too late now, you can't do a quick poll. But should I share with you what I think the two most important words are? I believe the two most important words in a marriage are, that's strange. The next time your wife loses it, I mean, but loses it, screaming and yelling and say to yourself that's strange why would a sane competent woman suddenly lose it 
that's strange. Why would my husband, who's normally a nice guy, act so cruel, cold, and callous? You see, when you say the words, that's strange, you open yourself up to the scientific curiosity of trying to better understand your spouse. Almost every scientific discovery was preceded with an expression. People think it's Eureka, I've discovered, it's not true. Almost every scientific discovery was preceded by the words, that's strange. A guy mixed chemical X and chemical Y and got Z, that's strange, and suddenly he discovered the rubber that became most of our tires today. Penicillin was discovered that way. Most scientific discoveries were preceded by the words, that's strange. When you say the words, that's strange, the next time your spouse does something, it's inexplicable, and you open yourself up to understand their inner world, you may recognize one of the key distinctions between you and your spouse, and that is that your experience is different than your spouse's experience. Your reality is different than her reality, and your experience doesn't define reality. When you open yourself up to that scientific curiosity, and you're able to then climb into your spouse's inner world, then you're able to then begin to understand your spouse, and then you're able to hopefully to live together in, in peace and harmony, at least a little bit easier. Rabbi Shev, are you ready to get into it? I'm ready to get into it. Okay, let's go. So we have some live questions. We'll start with some live. Um, again, anybody who asks a live question, I mean, anybody asks a live question, email rena at schmooze.com to get the, the free audio book. Please text us your Video, video book, video book. Video book. Okay, first live question, you're on. Hello? Hi. Hi, Rabbi Shafer. Yes, you hear me, Rabbi Shafer? Yes, I hear you. Yes, I hear you. Yeah. That's all. I wanted to thank you for everything you do for Kali Sal. It's unbelievable. Um, I truly, uh, you know, we have. I have a lot of uh, books on Shalom Bayis. Um, I recommend books. There are books from Ashley Shivas, and uh, from all the books that I've read, I've, I found your your book to be simply brilliant. Um, I recommend it to everybody. Um, and it's a pleasure, really, and a, really my distinct honor to be here and to ask you a question live. So, first of all, thank you very much. Thank you. So, my question is, how does a husband receive, how does he get the respect? You know, I've heard that, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like air to uh, a, a man, the respect. It's like food, like any other biological need that he, that, that, that he just can't live without. And sometimes whatever a person does, he just doesn't feel that his wife respects him. It could be either he's not making enough money, he's trying. It could be um, it's just sometimes he's just he dresses a certain way, which is not his like his wife's liking. He'll do he'll try, but it just it seems just like it always reaches a dead end. That respect is is lacking. Okay, so let me be very candid. What you're describing is common, uh, and and is a reality. And there are two parts to this equation. Obviously, she, I'm sure, understands it. And the more she works on trying to respect them, the better. But here's a simple reality. Would you like to know what you can do to earn respect? The answer is nothing, nothing. You're not gonna do it. But I can tell you one thing. If your wife knows that you cherish her, if she knows that you love her, if she knows that she is number one in her eyes, she will look at you as a good guy with a flaw, but a good guy. If she doesn't feel that you love her, if she doesn't feel that she cherishes her, everything that you do is going to be for the wrong reason, in the wrong way. And not only she's not going to respect you, she's going to... So I would tell you, try this on me. Try to show her in word, deed, and action that you cherish her, that you love her, and buy flowers and gifts, and spend 
if I would tell you to spend three months just trying to do that and tell me if it doesn't change dramatically the way she treats you and the respect that she shows you. Now, again, I'm not telling you that this is your fault, but I am telling you that I guarantee this is something you can change. And very often what happens is when a woman feels that she's not cherished, she's not loved, it comes out different women in different ways. Some women get nasty, some get biting, some get spiteful, some get derogatory. There are many colorful ways that women have of expressing the fact that their needs are not being met. But I guarantee that if you make it very clear to her that you cherish her, that you love her, that she's number one, it will greatly improve the relationship. And as a result, you're going to be her best friend. And her best friend is not somebody she's going to want to put down. And she's not going to be, you know, again, I'm not telling you she's the most sensitive person in the world. And it could be something that she needs to work on. But the best way for you to ensure the fact that she's going to be willing to work on it, wanting to work on it, is if you meet her core needs, I almost guarantee it's going to make a seismic shift in the relationship and things are going to be very different. Try it on me. Guys don't believe me when I tell it, but when they actually do it, it's incredible to watch it. It's like, it's like when you say air to a man, it's, exa- it's oxygen to a woman. And if you choke over oxygen, she's going to breathe fire. She's going to be very nasty, but provide her oxygen and suddenly she's a different person. Try it. Hey, Rabbi Schaefer, let's cover some questions. I want to cover one question that came in, okay? Yeah. Should we, should we put the poll on dating? Do we want to talk about dating a little bit? Go for it. Okay. Because um, it's tied into the question over here, okay? Mm-hmm. It's really, we got like four different versions of the question, okay? I'm going to read the few different versions, then we'll do the poll, and then give us the answer. Okay, somebody says, um, I want to thank you for providing practical advice to help improve marriages. However, I'm facing a real problem, employing some of the concepts that you described. You mentioned that couples need to spend time together regularly to keep their bond and connection strong. I couldn't agree more, but in practical terms, it's difficult for us. My husband works long hours. I also have a job to balance. Additionally, we have children who require attention every night for homework and bedtime routines. Despite trying to find a babysitter, our kids tend to stay up past their bedtimes, making it impossible to go out once a week or even carve out times for ourselves. Can you suggest some ways for us to stay connected? That's one question. Somebody else sent another question. Um, what was the other one somebody sent in? Somebody sent in um, this one. Uh, thank you for your book about the 10 dumb mistakes. Since I read the book, I tried implementing more date nights and vacations on our schedule. I would, like to, I would say... Stop yeah. pushing. What? I would to ask him when he did that, how did the... Wait, wait. change? I would say that we have a great marriage, but always looking to take it to the next. However, since my new baby was born... With the burden of working full-time, part-time to make some to make sure that we stay afloat, our schedules are becoming more and more out of sync. Sometimes we're trying to nail down time to, for a day to talk or possible vacation. Um, the priority of trying to create the opportunity itself is creating a lot of pressure and stresses. What do you suggest for balancing? So those are the, the questions. We've got a few different versions of it. Let's let's do the poll. Click on the poll, the second poll. And stop sharing. Second. Okay, let's do this poll. We're going to ask everybody this poll, okay? Here goes the poll. How many times have you and your spouse gone out on a date night in the past three months? Answer honestly. 12 times or more, three months. January, February, almost the end of March, right? So we should have wrote since 2023. 12 times or more, six times or more, one time, or unfortunately, we have not had a chance to go out. Let me touch it. Okay, everybody vote. Let's see Lamaisa, where everybody's holding. Five seconds.
Okay, we're going to share the results. You ready? I'm scared. I'm also. Okay, here we go. 38. Results are, the results are 5% of people went out 12 times or more. 90% went out six times or more. 38% was one time. And 38% was zero. So basically between, between one time and zero is 76%. So 76% okay. of the people here tonight in the past three months went out. Zero times. I don't know how to do a half. So Rabbi Schaefer, answer the question. Lamaisa, there's a reason why, right? It's not working. Why? Okay. Right all across the world, but Lamaisa, so, right. concept in theory. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, let me very, be very clear. We are busy. We are busier than any generation in the course of history. That's assuming you don't have an iPhone. Assuming you don't have a phone constantly interrupting your life. Just the responsibilities of a husband and wife today are greater than any other generation previously between soccer mom and it's incredible. Okay. At the same time, I have to be very blunt. You have to make a decision. Do your kids come first or do they not? Does your family matter or does it not? And this is the big mistake that people make. People say, my kids come first and therefore I have no time to date. My family comes first and therefore I have no time to go out with my husband or my wife, etc. And that is a fallacious argument, because if your kids come first, you'll know that the best investment you can make in your children being wholesome, happy people is a solid marriage. And if your marriage starts to fray, then all bets are off. You see, especially when your kids are little, you guys are 10 feet tall, you're the center of gravity. If you're quibbling, if you're fighting, which invariably happens, because that's just the nature of life. If you're not constantly increasing the bond, the connection, you're going to fray, you're going to go apart. And before you know it, there's going to be tension as you're fighting. And the single best investment you can make in your children being wholesome, happy people is to make sure that you have a solid marriage. And there are no shortcuts here. There's no way you're going to do this without spending time together. I don't care what you tell me. Well, we're so aligned in life goals. We, want, we have the exact same ashkafas, and we're so aligned in exactly what we want to bring up our kids. That's beautiful. But if you don't have a marriage, guess what? You're going to be, it, it's impossible. The glue of the marriage is the love. If the love in the marriage is gone, forget about it. And if you don't bond, if you don't connect, you don't spend time together, it's not going to be there. So all of your interests, your family, your kids, the very first primary responsibility of husband and wife is to the marriage because the marriage is the center core of your family. It's a center core of your kids being happy and well-adjusted. And if you don't make the time, if you don't actually make it a priority, guess what? You're going to suffer. So, you know, I'll be, you know, Usher, am I allowed to be honest? Uh, at some point, I lose my patience. People, they quetch and they quetch and they quetch. Let's get real. Let's get real. Coach Menachem, can we get real? People, it might take time. Might take time. Might take time. I'm going to try. I, I, I'm not a coach, so I can be real. People quetch and quetch and quetch. And I'm telling you, this is such an easy solution. And it works so brilliantly. And it's so easy to, if you do it. But no matter how much you quetch, and no matter how many books you read, and how much you complain about your husband, your wife, my husband, my wife, my husband, my wife. But if you don't spend the time to work on it, guess what? It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. And it's just a question of time, and you get more and dis more and more distant, more and more distant. And before you know it, you say you call Rabbi Shaver and say, "What would we talk about on a date?" I don't even know the person anymore. So, like, what can I tell you? Um, if you don't want to, I don't know how to say this. You're right. There's no question that we have many responsibilities. 
but this is the prime responsibility because your kids will not be well. By the way, if you think you're busy now, try two homes. If you think you're busy now, you don't have much money now, try divorce attorneys, try paying for, for alimony. But I don't even mean to be facetious. I mean, in a very serious way. And what I mean is the best investment you can make in your family, in your kids, is spending time together as a couple. But it has to be religious. It has to be done regularly, religiously. You have to work on it. And it has to be a priority. And there's nothing I'm going to do, no book I'm going to write, no videos I'm going to come out with. If you're not going to take the solution, it's like, here's the solution. If you don't take it, nothing's going to work. So what am I going to tell you? I think so, obviously there's something, there's a blockage that many people have. Yeah. And we see it because you could tell them this is clear that this is what they have to do. But for some reason, they're not doing it. They they can't do it. Something is holding them back. And for them, you know, obviously they need to figure out what it is. You know, Coach, Manoff, I don't know if I heard it from you once at uh, the VART, but I think I heard it from somebody. It was a great VART. The way to go get the dates, right? To make sure that you do it. Was it you? Pre-babysitter for like three months in, in advance. Right, hire babysitter. But see, Coach Menachem, can I be, here we go, let's get real. I, I used to be facetious. When I was facetious, I used to call it relationship anorexia. You know, anorexia is a very difficult to understand disease where people starve themselves to death. I believe there's relationship anorexia. They starve the relationship to death, and then they wonder, how did we get here? How do we, how do we come so distant? What happened to our marriage? Well, what can I tell you? If you're going to starve it, this is what you're going to get. And, and again, let me say this. If you think it's not from, I'm telling you, it's a chiyav de oraisa to work on your marriage. I used to tell guys very simply, guys would ask me, come close to Yom Kippur, what should I do chuvan? I would say one fight that you have with your spouse, I guarantee you're over so many more love than anything you can imagine. The amount of losa says that you're dvorim, and the amount of tsar and pain that you cause your spouse in one fight is, is untold amount, Losa says, 30, 40, 100, hundreds of them. So if you think it's not religious to go out, you're making a fundamental error. If you think you don't have time to go out because your kids are going to suffer, it's a fundamental error. Because your kids will suffer if you don't go out, and they're going to benefit from it greatly. And so that's why I was facetious. I used to say anorexia, relationship anorexia, people afraid of having fun, enjoying themselves. But you have to do it. You have to commit to it. But it's not frivolous. It's not silly. It's very real and it's very much an obligation and it's part of being a married couple. If you want to be successful. Rabbi, somebody, somebody just texted me. It's an interesting question. Is... I can't hear you. Oh, sorry. Is it possible to do date night in your house? So simply you have to go out if you just stay home and have the date night? Yeah, the answer is yeah, yes. You can do date night in your house if you send your kids out. If you send your kids and the laundry and the phone and every other distraction out, the answer is yes. But assuming that you're not sending your kids out and assuming you're not sending out the laundry and there are other responsibilities in the house, the bottom line is if you don't go out, you're going to be distracted, you're going to be busy. I'll be honest with you. My wife and I were at a stage where we're, we're pretty close to empty nested. And my daughter, 22, she's home. She's a, she's a therapist. So we, she's really, we're basically, so we, we do date night at home. It's true because we, our kids are at that age where it's fine. They don't interfere and we could spend time together as a couple but for most kids, most couples that have kids, forget about it. There's just too much going on, too much busyness. When you get dressed, you go out, you feel different. I don't know what to tell you. If you're not going to do it, um, Coach Menachem, am I, am I wasting my breath? Am I just blowing hot air here? 
No, no, you're saying very good. You're making it very clear. And for those that are in pain, either they will do it because they must, or they should go for help because obviously they're in a crisis and there's a reason why they can't do it. And they need a third party to help them actually get their act together. Rosh is right. You booked the babysitter. By the way, who's responsible for the babysitter? It's the husband's husband. responsibility to plan the date. The woman's responsible to plan the babysitter. I don't trust guys with childcare. Uh-uh. <laughs> the woman has got to get the babysitter. But ladies, that's got to be your job. And it should guys, be- The guys go on Craigslist. They get a babysitter on Craigslist. What's the big uh, yeah, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's go to more live questions. Okay. Here we go. Unmute. Hi, Rabbi Schaefer. Thank you for taking my question. So I never read your book because I'm not married. I'm still a bacher. But uh, for all those here who are not married, um, I have a small question, which brings out a point. Um, your book's title is 10 Mistakes That Couples Make. Nope, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's not. It's 10 Really Dumb Mistakes. <laughs> okay, so mm-hmm. the point is... Um, is coming into marriage like is it expected that mistakes are supposed to be made and that's when it's supposed to be rectified or there is some sort of point where someone before marriage should get some education and they should know some things and they could the ideal way would be that these dumb mistakes shouldn't be made I, um, I, what, what should a person who's not married like what what advice you could give them could i could i say one thing please I say better that's exactly it you have two choices in life wise men learn from others' mistakes while fools don't even learn from their own. You read the book before you're married. I used to be the high school Rebbe for 15 years. I would teach you guys about marriage. I'd say, Rebbe, we're only 17 years old. I said, yeah, you don't learn about marriage on the way down to the chuppah. Read the 10 really dumb mistakes and you'll understand a marriage. You'll understand the nature of a woman. You'll understand the nature of a man. You'll understand the nature of a relationship. You'll understand why it's so hard for me to see what I do wrong why it's so difficult to see what my spouse is feeling. And when you do that, when you come into the marriage, you come in with an education. You come with an understanding. It doesn't mean everything's going to be beautiful. There's still a lot of work because the greatest tikkun amidus, the, the base safer for tikkun amidus is marriage. That's what the Bali the, the tells us, used to call it. It's the, it's the base safer for amidus. So you're going to still have to do a lot of growth. But if you understand the relationship, if you understand gender differences, if you understand what, marriage is about your leagues and leagues ahead so you end up not making the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make you make one or two but you correct them because you realize what you're doing so read the book please read and read many other the many other good books make sure you get an education before you get married yes yes okay so we don't wait till cousin places i i not if you're asking me absolutely not no next live question you're on hi rabbi schaefer um, in the beginning, you mentioned how under the chuppah, the wife is already looking at the husband as a 10-point home improvement system. Yeah. There are times where we do need our husband to fix things around the house. And I understand my husband is busy. He has work. He works long, hour, long hours. But for the past six months, I've been asking him to fix things around the house. And he still hasn't done it. And every time I ask him... He, he like sighs or like make a, makes a face. So like, how can I get my husband to help around the house? Okay, that's a good question. Let me ask you another question. Is he a good guy? Yes. Is he considerate? Sometimes. Sometimes. And does he take good care of you in general? 
Yes. Why doesn't he do these things? Why doesn't he do these things? Yeah. What do you mean? The, what do you want to do around the house? Why doesn't he do that? I think because he just doesn't have any interest to fix things around the house. He has better things to do. Like most of his time goes to working and then he'd rather learn Torah. Okay, so look, I, I have to be honest with you. It's your husband's responsibility to take care of the home. No question about it. But you also have to recognize that we're all human beings and his job, and this is always the balance of marriage. He has his responsibility and you have yours. If he were coming to me, I would tell him, come on, guy, pick up a screwdriver, pick up a hammer, do what you're supposed to do. On your end, what I would say to you is to recognize that likely there's a reason why he's not doing it. Most likely, first of all, he may not feel competent, he may not feel good enough, he may be too busy. As you say, he's wiped out, he's tired, he's exhausted, he's learning and working and, and et cetera. Um, what can I tell you? You know, here's the greatest lesson in marriage. Um, anyone want to improve their marriage? This is a poll. Oh, she asked as a poll. You want to improve your marriage? I have a Musa exercise that is the best Musa exercise for improving marriage. You ready for this one? But it's a real tough one. It's a real tough one. Here we go. I want to ask you to look in a mirror. You look in a mirror and look at the eyes looking back at you and you say the words, I am a difficult person to live with. I. I am a difficult person to live with. I am a difficult person. You mean my husband? My, no, I mean you. I am a difficult. And I know you're a difficult person to live with. You know why? Not that you're obnoxious or anything like that. But we're all imperfect. Hashem put us in the world imperfect. Our job in this world is to perfect ourselves. And we're here to perfect ourselves. If you were perfect, you'd be done your job here. Be safe from the shalom. Be time to check out. Let's hope you're still imperfect. But you see that reality that I'm an imperfect person. And more than that, I'm a difficult person to live with is one of the keys to a successful marriage. Why? Because I can't tell you how many times I get a couple in front of me and he says something or she says something like, Rabbi, listen, I'm not saying I'm a tzaddik. I'm 40% of the problem, but, but she's out of control. Da, 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 da. What he means by the 40% is, my 40% is nothing. It's clinicite. Anybody could accept that. But she's the problem. But each party has to recognize that I'm a difficult person to live with. I don't know you at all. But I'd be willing to bet you that if I got your husband in here, he would mention quite a number of things that you do that bother him or that you don't do that bother him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So why don't you do them? Why don't you change? Why don't you get it together? Now, again, I'm not letting him off the hook. And I'm not telling you he shouldn't do these things. He should. It's a husband's responsibility to take care, to earn a living. Husband's responsibility to take care of the house. I got it. But whatever the case, he's not doing it. Why not? And most likely because there's just a lot going on right now. His job is to do the best he can doing it. And your job is to recognize that it could be that's not his strength. And that's not, listen, I married, um, I married a perfect woman, but she discovered soon after the marriage that she did not marry a perfect man. And she discovered the hard way that I'm imperfect, but that wasn't what she thought when we were going out. And it was a little bit of a, a, a rude awakening. Why? Because no matter who you are, no matter how put together you are, you have stuff. We all have stuff. And getting comfortable with that idea that I'm a difficult person to live with, and therefore maybe it's not so easy on my spouse, makes it a lot easier to be so well the in the things that your spouse does that makes it difficult for you. you should, she, should she discuss it on date nights? Uh, it's a great idea. <laughs> no, please don't. It is a good idea to talk about it, but I suspect that your husband knows it very clearly. I suspect you've told him maybe dozens of times, maybe 36 or 48 or more. How many times have you discussed it with him? 
One second, let me let me mute her. Hold on. Yes. I don't I don't know how you know me so well, but a lot of times. <laughs> okay. So at this stage of the game, he he's got it very clear. He knows it. So why doesn't he just do it? I don't know why. We all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. And recognizing that just like your husband has strengths and many milers and many talents and many good abilities, he also has deficits. He has things he's lacking. That's the nature of being a human being. The difficulty is it's very easy for me to get used to my problems. It's not so easy for me to get used to my spouses. Can I share with you one more example like that? I had a woman in my office who was ragging on and on, husband this, husband that, husband this, husband that. And she was quite honestly a very difficult person. I mean, she really, you could see the minute she walked in, she was a tough cookie. She was a, she was like a really, you know, so at a certain point I said to Madam, you know, I hear you have a lot of complaints about your husband, no question about it. And a lot of things he does wrong, no question. But I tell, tell me, is it possible that there may be one or two things that he finds about you that difficult to live with? She thinks for a minute and says, yeah. So I said, what, what do you, how do you expect him to, you know, to live with that? She said, listen, me, me, I have to live with, but him, I could change. So you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying to you is we all have flaws, we all have stuff. Should he clean up his mess? Should he fix the house? Absolutely. And why isn't he doing it? Because whatever, that's just not his strength. Okay, you discussed it, you told him. You're talking about on date night is surely not an answer because he knows it already. His job is to do it. Your job is to be a friend. A friend overlooks the flaws of their friend. And hopefully as you overlook his flaws, he overlooks your flaws and you have a successful marriage. Okay, Rishav, let's go to more live questions. Yeah. Um, let me just try to unmute this person. Unmute. Okay, unmute that one. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, you're on. Hi, Rabbi Schaefer. Hi. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just discovered your um, collection a few days ago, and um, it's been really helpful. I am re currently recovering from surgery, so, and I am, uh, we are separated with my husband. Um, so my question is not, uh, my question is a little different. Um, so, um, we've been married, we've been together for about four years. We've been married um, less than a year. We're in our, we're a middle um, age couple. We had a beautiful dating period. We love each other. I know I have my, I am a tough person to deal with. He, he's a tough person, but we, we generally are pretty soft-hearted people. Um, however, this is a second marriage for both of us. And we both have, each of us has a son. And in my situation, uh, my husband has a very big, um, sense of uh, like a guilt, um, guilty parents, and constantly chooses his son over me. I feel like his son primarily resides with his mother, but when he comes to our house, everything changes. Um, and I feel like I get to shift and I, um, I, um, I, become, I become someone, you know, he forgets about. And right. it hurts my heart. I'm heartbroken right now. Right. So it's been 
now for four years, I can't take it anymore. Okay. I became this like better woman and uh, I tried to do my own thing. But when she's not here for two months in the summer, it's just so we decided to separate and now I'm seriously considering a divorce. Thank you. Okay, so I'm, I'm glad you bring this up because what you're describing is a situation that you must have an outside party help you with. There's way too much going on. It's only obviously to deal with it on a, on a talk show or, or by a book. And there are many situations that arise where you need a third party. Initially, it could be a rub, but many times it needs to be a marriage therapist afterwards because there's just too many variables and too many pieces over here that need to be set in place. So my recommendation to you would be to see if you and your husband are both interested to find a marriage therapist. You could potentially start with a rub for recommendation. If you don't know where to go, ladies and gentlemen, please use relief, relief.org. Just relief.org. They have places in Lakewood. They have places in Brooklyn. They're phenomenal. I call them on a regular basis for placements. You explain to them what the situation is, and they're very, very good. So my recommendation is, if you and your husband are both amenable to the idea, get to a, someone, get to a marriage therapist, get someone to help, because a third party can help you sort things out, because we all get blinded, we all get cut up, and there are many times when a third party is very much needed to make a marriage successful. Okay, Rabbi Schaefer, let's get into an interesting topic a little bit over here. You don't uh, open a window while we do that, though. It's getting yeah, hot. No. Yes. Okay, let me read this question. Rabbi, I have a question regarding a recurring issue that happens when my husband and I visit my parents over the weekend for Shabbos. Um, we have been married for five years, and every time we go, my siblings seem to have an issue with my husband. They find fault with everything he says and does, and it ultimately leads to ugly situations. I'm not sure what to do because I love my husband and my family. I don't want to be caught in the middle. Also, I start realizing that when people say negative things about your spouse, it starts sticking in your mind, and you think it over and over, and it starts actually eating at you. So what advice can you give me in this complex situation? Okay, it's a Pasuk and Chumash. A man leaves his birth home and clings to his wife. And when you get married, you're creating your new family. Your birth family, your family of origin is where you come from, but your new family is your family. What that means in plain, simple language is it's your spouse first. And more than your spouse first, the relationship, as Chazal described it, is Reim Ahuvim best friends who live, who love each other. But best friends mean you support each other. What that means in plain, simple language is if someone attacks your husband or your wife, it's your job to defend your husband or your wife. And if someone says something nasty about your husband, it's your job to defend your husband. Even if that someone is your sister, even if that someone is your brother, even if that someone is your mother or your father, it's you and your husband against the world. This is one of the basic tenets of a marriage. It's you guys together against the world. And that means you are best friends. You support each other. And it means your marriage comes first. Your husband comes first. And if your siblings don't like it, say some the shalom. If your mother doesn't like it, I'm very sorry. If your father doesn't, I'm very sorry. Your obligation to your husband comes first. And I, I can't stress this enough. This is a mistake that young couples make. You know, someone makes fun of their spouse and they say, you're right, you know. And, and they get on the other person's side. and they, you, What you're doing is destroying your marriage. 
you guys are together one unit, you create your new family and you bond and it's your job to be best friends and it's your job to support your husband against the world. So uh, you gotta be there for them. And, and, and one more step also, by the way, many guys do this, you know, they'll, they'll defend their wife against the brother, the sister, the mother, the uncle, et cetera. And then they'll go home and they'll say, you know, honey, I defended you because I, I, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but you know, they're really right. Oh, did you blow it? Oh, did you blow it? It's your job to be the best support, your job to be a friend, your job is not to criticize, and your job is not to help your husband grow or change or become better. Your job is to become blind, deaf, and dumb to your spouse's flaws and to just be a support and let them figure out on their own how they're going to grow, how they're going to reach new heights. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You're on. Hi, Rabbi. Thank Hi. you. I have um, a four-year-old son who's very, very adorable, but he's very difficult. And me and my husband sometimes disagree on how we should parent him and deal with his issues. Right. Okay. So first of all, let me make one suggestion. Get a parenting mentor. Get It could be a course. It could be a, a book. I prefer a course. I prefer someone that you actually speak to. You know, my wife and I, when we were younger, one of the kids, that there was a problem with one of the kids in school, so they asked us to speak to Dr. Unterberg. Dr. Unterberg had been the, uh, she was the head of psychology University of Rochester. I was a Rebbe in Rochester. And we, she would meet with parents to teach them how to parent. My wife and I met with her for about two weeks and we learned how to deal with our child. We continued going to her week after week after week. I would take copious notes. I begged her to write a book. The wisdom that this woman had in terms of child development, in terms of understanding child, was phenomenal. She was a student of Dr. Gannat. Anyway, I begged her to write a book in the end. Unfortunately, she died before she did. But this is the point. Unless you have a, an incredible amount of experienced parenting, unless you've parented many kids already and you're long away the path, it's very unlikely that you have a very solid understanding of what a child needs. You know how most parents parent? Most parents parent based on their temperament. So for instance, if he's by nature is laid back, that's how he's going to parent. If she by nature is much more rigid, that's how she's going to parent. But the idea of parenting is your goal is to bring out the best in this child. But to do that, you have to understand the child, you have to understand the needs of the child, and you have to understand how to direct that child properly. And I highly recommend that you take a course, you either get someone in live that you can meet with regularly, or there are many online courses. Torah uh, sort of have the there are many Hina courses, but you have to get a parenting system and a mentor in parenting that you both live with, that you both follow, and then you'll find a light. A lot of these issues won't be issues. Okay. Answer the question. Okay. Next question. Want to mute? Yeah. Hi. How are you? Uh, hi, Rabbi Schaefer. Uh, I, I, my, me and my wife are in our first year of marriage, and I just wanted to know how would you manage Nida uh, from a relationship perspective? Okay, that is a very real issue. And it, it, that's here. So I'm glad you're asking the question because it's your responsibility. It's very hard on a woman because she feels, you know, th let me say this. First of all, in the firm world, some, for some reason, we underestimate the importance of touch. Touch is incredibly important, but I, I don't mean just in a, in a sexual manner. I mean, touch in the sense of affection, touch in the sense, it's incredibly important. And naturally a woman at that stage feels that she's 
she's neglected, she's not important. So it's your responsibility to let her know very clearly that she's cherished, that she's loved. And you have to remember, you, you have to be careful with what you say, but certainly compliments are fine. Spending time together is fine. You have to do it in a way that doesn't lead to, to problems, but you must spend time together and you have to make sure that you're very sensitive to her needs and you spend time with her and you compliment her. And she has to know that you love her, that you cherish her, that you adore her. And, for, and the more you let her know that, and the more you let her know, in fact, that it's difficult that you can't touch her, you can't reach out, that's, I think the, the better the results will be, the easier it'll be for her to deal with it. But that, that would be my recommendation. You have to be overcompensate with spending time, the compliments, the, the love notes, the gifts, everything that, that a couple in love should be doing. Let's go more live. You're on. Hi. Um, first of all, thank you for your um, books. We really appreciate it. And it really changed our marriage a lot. Improved it in a better way. Um, I have a, a question um, regarding. So our story in short is like this, that we, we got married. Our marriage um, is beautiful today, but it started off in not the best place. Okay. And it was like that for so many years. And um, I have a hard time, like now that Baruch Hashem, we both worked on ourselves a lot and I, I, I feel that life is great, but I still have a very hard time trusting, trusting my husband, that this is who he is. And I have a hard time feeling safe that my marriage will stay in a good place. Right. So how do, how do I gain that feeling of trust? Right. Okay, first of all, also, you... um, can I add this is that when my, you know, when we got married, my husband didn't really express um, affection and, and he, you know, like he, he didn't know how to. And so I have a hard time trusting that he loves me altogether. You know, Baruch Hashem, it's gotten better, but. <laughs> okay, so first of all, are you a woman? I think so. Yeah, so that's it. So um, most women are insecure about the husband's love the first in the beginning of marriage and the beginning of marriage means what? first 30 or 35 years so welcome cool. to the so but let, let me say this what you're feeling is very natural because you guys went through a rough time most marriages have an adjustment period i know very few marriages that just start out great and remain great i've never almost it's almost unheard of most marriages have an adjustment period where they go through things and here's the point what's difficult here is because there there's emotions involved and there are feelings and he said, you said, you said, he said. And this is the most important thing to realize. <clears throat> a lot of times, I'm, I'm sure you're a great person. I'm sure you're a great wife. But I have to imagine that there were things you did along the way that made him not so happy. And I have to imagine there were things you did along the way that made it worse. But <clears throat> in those parts, it's hard to remember. It's very easy to remember what he said that stabbed you, that hurt you. Those parts are very clear. <clears throat> but what you said back are very hard to, to remember. Um, and that's just because we're human beings. That's where we are. You see, when you say something to me, it stabs me. It stabs the essence of me. When I said back to you, just words. And many times that's what happens in a fight. All I did was say X, Y, and Z. And you stabbed me back. You know, you stabbed me with such a terrible thing. Well, well madam, do we paying attention to what you were saying? You know, like, so I, I think if you remember that every fight has two participants or two combatants in the fight. And you made mistakes. He made mistakes. And we're now past that point and he's working on it and he's really working on letting you know that you're loved and you're cherished and it's true by the way it takes guys usually longer than it takes women to feel that attachment that love that bond but regardless every marriage requires work 
and every marriage has a beginning part and the ups and downs and it's just growing and getting closer and it's going to take time but the, i think the more you're able to just embrace him as he is and the more you're able to say i probably caused him a lot of difficulty as well and we're going to put it past i'm just going to leave it alone i'm going to pass put it in a box and close it and move forward the more you think in those terms i think the easier it'll be to, to move on you, you do believe that um once you get it you have it or it's part of the ups and downs one day you feel you have trust you trust you feel great the next day you're not sure and it could be a week a year whatever so it could be the, that, those are the ups and downs that we have to work on right so coach Menachem really is right in other words it, it's not like again I, you think I'm being facetious about the 30 35 year part I'm not I really mean it if you marry the best guy in the world and he was just constantly showering you with attention, I almost guarantee there would still be a sense of, does he really love me? Does he not? Does he really love me? Because that's, it's a nature of a relationship. It's a nature of a woman. So part of it is natural. And no matter what, it's going to take a long time. Even if you had a great marriage, you, that security takes a long time to build. That's first of all. And especially because there's water under the bridge. And again, it's going to be ups and downs, ups and downs, as long as you're heading in the right direction. And especially you say now, you guys are going, you're in the right mode. You're in the right direction. I think the more you, you know, work on it and the more you ask yourself, what could I do to improve this relationship? What can I do to make him happier? What does he want? What does he need? You know, we're all very focused on my needs in a relationship, but it's the opposite. Asking myself, what could I do to make my spouse happy? And by the way, a lot of times couples don't know. I don't know what he wants. I have not a clue what you... So I have a little clue. If you're ever curious as to what your spouse really wants and you're not sure, I have a little secret. It's a schooler. Are you ready for this? It's not a gamachi, but it's a schooler. It's a schooler called listen to what they say. And I guarantee she said it a hundred times. He said it. All you have to do is listen. No, he doesn't really mean that. He really, no, yes, he does. He really means that it bothers him no end when you do X, but it shouldn't. It wouldn't bother me. I got that. But if you actually listen very likely you'll find what it is that your spouse wants, what it is that they need. And the more you focus on that, likely the more the relationship will improve. And Ritz Hashem will be in a very different place. But as Coach Menachem points out, it is a growth process and it's not overnight. It takes time and there are ups and downs. But Ritz Hashem, you're heading in the right direction. Okay. Let's let's jump on this question over here. Hold on one second. Okay. You're on live. I'm you. Hi. Hey, hi. Um, hi. First, I want to tell you two things. One was that I am a therapist and I highlight your book word for word and show my clients and have them read it out loud to each other when I to, when I do couples therapy. So I really do want to thank you for that. I'm amazing. Can I do um, one second. I'm sorry to interrupt you before you ask your question, but I'm going to interrupt. Have you seen the video book? I have seen it. I don't own it. Okay. You're going to own it because you're going to get a free copy. But the beauty of the video book is you don't have to read. It talks to them. It's a, it's a video book. It literally, it plays the video. Yeah. It's and it's, it's great. It's, it. The second thing I wanted to mention was that yeah. I had two daughters that got married last year. And for their Shabbat Brachos, I bought anybody that hosted them and my girls uh, your book. Oh. I thought it was fantastic. Thank you. So thank, thank you. you. It was really awesome. Okay, so my question is, is that sometimes I have... Um, Sometimes, like, if I have a date night with my husband and, like, I'm too tired or whatever it is, 
he gets like he gets that feeling of rejection. He gets very upset about it. Like, like if he says, "Okay, we're going out at nine p.m.," and I say, "Okay, we're going at nine p.m.," and then all of a sudden it's like ten thirty at night, he gets very very rejected, and that's the end of our night. Okay, so that's right. my I that's a problem. It's a reality. So my wife and I had that problem. We found a solution. Now it doesn't work for everybody. For us, it worked. We do lunch dates. Now, depending on your schedule and depending on how flexible you are, in our case, we were able to do it where we take off in the middle of the day, meaning it doesn't have to be at night. A lot of times, first of all, people get tired at night, things are busy, whatever it may be. It only matters that you spend time. Sunday afternoon might be an ideal time. And again, it depends on your family and your the dynamics, but it's much more important that you be present on the date and you be there than it be at night. So a, a day date is a great idea if again, Sunday, but sometimes, for, depending on, again, the schedule and depending on the situation, if you could do that, I highly recommend it. Does that work in some way in, in your situation? Would it work? Okay, so we also have every day. Oops, do you hear me? Yeah. Okay, so we also have every single day we have a lunch date. So Every single day? Every single day. And I... A lot. Well, we're married 30 no, years. Stop, so, stop, you know, hey, stop, stop, please. One second. Did everybody hear? Did everybody hear that? Did everybody hear that? Say it one more time. What do you have? A lunch date. How often? Every single day. One second, one second, one second, one second. I want to, one, second, I have, one second. You have a, every day? Every day? Every day? Like you connect, you can, you, you, you bond, you spend time together. Like, what do you talk about? Oh my goodness. What would I talk about with my husband? Thank you very much. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's really him. It's not me. <laughs> he, he really, he's, he's always saying, okay, it's 1159, you know, 12 o'clock is lunch. So we sit down together every single day, That's almost right. every, I'm not perfect. So I thank you for almost. coming on just for saying those words, everybody else on this program. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? I'm sorry, but do you understand if you spend time together, guess what? You bond, you connect. Sometimes, it's not always great. It's not always one, but it's, you're, you're connecting. You, all right. I'm sorry. You had a question. I'm sorry. I'll behave. Go ahead. Please ask your question. It's just that, right. So, so the thing is, is in the evening as we go out during the daytime, lunchtime, we sit down and we talk to each other. So, but the thing is, is that I, I'm, sometimes I'm not Mrs. Perfect and it's hard and it's life happens. So right. it's a little challenging for me. So again, if you guys go out every, if you spend lunch time together every day, then if you, I think if you miss a date every once in a while, you have to, I don't know. I mean, you, obviously you want to explain, listen, your husband has feelings and, and I can understand why he would feel rejected. Um, but can you plan the date, maybe a longer lunch date every once in a while? Meaning if you could take the break longer, but the fact that you're spending lunch every day together, that alone is great. That's phenomenal. Um, that goes a long way to connecting to bonding. I, I don't think it totally replaces the date night, but it, if you did that and a date night every other week, I would not have a. I would say you're fine. You're, you're good to go. Um, you know, I, I'd be fine with that. What would you tell him if he's asking the question? And I, I tell him. So I'd say, sir, your wife is a good person. She's a human being. She gets tired not because she doesn't want to spend time with you, not because she doesn't love you but because she's a human being and you have to recognize that reality and you have to plan the date in a different time. Either you go out earlier or you go out during the day, make your lunch date longer, go out Sunday afternoon, 
figure out a way to do it when your wife isn't going to be as tired and don't and you have to recognize it's not personal it isn't personal and just figure out a way to do it where hopefully you won't have that issue Grab a shape. Are we ready for the next one? I am ready, but thank you very much for that. I love that. Thank you. Oshi, it was worth it just to hear that. We go out every day. We spend lunchtime. Wow. It's great. I'm sorry. Yeah. Some people are like, every day? This is not right. <laughs> okay. Next question. You're on. Okay. I have a total different question. Yeah. Um, would you talk a little bit about marriage with trauma, marriage with addiction? How long should you wait for your husband to be sober? Is there hope in addiction? Even if they relapse like like many times, betrayal and all all that. Is okay. there hope in such a marriage or so there's always hope, but uh, obviously that question requires a very careful assessment of of your spouse, of yourself, of the situation. I certainly can't answer it, uh, you know, here without knowing any of the details. Do people change? The answer is yes. Is addiction difficult? It sure is. Uh, change, any change is difficult. Uh, do people change? The answer is yes. Do they change easily? No. Some people never change? Yes. I would highly recommend that you get a Rov or someone that you speak to who guides you because again, you can't, this question can't be answered in this context here. It requires somebody who knows you and your spouse and knows, is able to assess the situation. And there are times when it is time to throw in the towel. I'm not gonna say that there isn't. Uh, but again, it requires really understanding the situation and sending him, you, and what's really going on. So I, I highly recommend you get someone in to help you uh, both uh, sort this out. Okay, Barry the Grabber Schaefer, we're just getting warmed up over here. Well, it was on fire. How many video books do you have? <laughs> okay, you're on. Can I mute, please? I'll mute. There you go. Hi. Uh, hi, Rabbi. Um, so earlier you said uh, we should uh, be blind, deaf, and uh, dumb to the weaknesses of our spouse. Um, I'm confused in that. that uh, does that mean we should... Uh, never uh, say anything about it at all like in the beginning of marriage from the very beginning so blind deaf and dumb blind deaf and dumb blind deaf and dumb let me say it again because maybe i didn't say enough blind deaf and dumb blind you don't see deaf you don't hear dumb you don't say a word but why but why why can't i just point it out we all have this fantasy all i have to do is point out to my spouse what he or she is doing wrong and magically they'll change they don't change. Now, don't get me wrong. <clears throat> when you're first married and there's something that's troubling you, it's absolutely acceptable to discuss it. You sit down with your spouse and you discuss it. And you say, you know, I would prefer it if it was this, this, and et cetera. Now, <clears throat> what happens is if she recognizes it and it's something she can change, she changes. Great. Uh, maybe I'll give you a second time you say it. You know, she didn't change the second time. Maybe she didn't realize, she didn't understand. So you explain it. You again, you sit down, you know, when things are good and explain to her, you love her. She's the best thing that ever happened to you. She, you cherish her more than anything in the world. But there's one thing that if it were improved, you'd be even happier and you explain what it is. But after that, and for sure after the third time, she got it. She understands it. And she understands that it bothers you. So why doesn't she just stop it? Why doesn't she just change? And the answer is because change is very difficult for all of us. Change is not something that's easy at all. 
it's very easy for me to look at you and say, you should change. But when it comes to my stuff, ah, come on, ah, my, me, I can't, come on, yeah. So I have a little secret. If you want to do a great exercise in self-growth, in Musr, you take the finger, point it at yourself and say, I'm going to change. I'm going to work on myself. But don't point it at your spouse. It's very, very easy to point it at your spouse. It never works. It never changes her. It wrecks a relationship. And, but again, you point at yourself and you say the words, I am a difficult person to live with. I am a difficult. See, this is the episode. And marriage consists of three parts, commitment, love, and learning to live together. Many couples are very committed. And they even love each other. They work on the love. They really go out. They spend time every day bonding, connecting. But it's the learning to live together part that's not so easy. And a lot of couples get tripped up in that. And learning to live together means understanding there's a human being that I share my life with who's vastly different than me, has a different temperament, a different nature, a different approach, and is going to do things in vastly different ways. And my job is to embrace her and accept her as she is and not change her. But, 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 no buts. You're imperfect. She's imperfect. Your job is to embrace her, accept her as she is. Our job is to accept you. And then life is beautiful. It's a changing that never does any good, wrecks the relationship. So the rule is you are blind, deaf, and dumb to your spouse's flaws. Was that clear? Ushi, you got that? How many flaws are you supposed to point out to your spouse daily? At least 20. At least 20, right, good. Make a list. You make a list. Like, you like Put it on the refrigerator so she sees it right there, right? Exactly. Right. Okay, let's go to the next live question. You ready? Ready. Okay, I'm here. Was I harsh? I'm sorry, I apologize. No, not at all. Was I too, was I too I, I, he left, he, I'm sorry. Did he hang up and leave the show altogether? Because he I ran away, he ran away. He said never again. Oh. No, Coach oh, Renatham, teach me to be nice. Coach Menachem is so gentle. He's so soft. You know what I mean? I'm so, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My wife still puts up with me for 36 years now, you know? All right, go on. Hello? Yeah, hi. Hi. Hello, Rabbi Schaefer. Hi. Um, so I have, I'm not sure if this like doubles over on some of the other questions. Uh, my husband and I are married for 12 years. We had quite, a rough patch a bunch of years ago. Um, we did some therapy, and um, but my husband doesn't really believe in that stuff. Um, it, there's a little bit of a family culture of if you need any kind of help, then um, you're just a loser. Yeah. Um, so anytime I say, you know, I, I think I need to go, it, it's been a while and I think he thinks it's water under the bridge at this point, but, um, I, I really do still feel like I'm suffering. Um, and I've said, you know, I think I should go back into therapy and stuff like that. Um, he doesn't understand why okay. he thinks it's ridiculous. Um, I have come to, I, I, you should go to therapy or you as a couple should go into therapy? Well, I, I would go even by myself. I, I have gone by myself. I I don't feel that in, in, in I suppose, more personal things, I, I felt it to be helpful. In a couple things, I found it not to be helpful because he was very unreceptive. Um, I, there are a lot of the time that I... I don't, I don't even know if he knows me. Okay. I'm not sure 
why he married me even. <laughs> so I, I just, I'm not even sure what my next step would be. Okay, so let me say this. You know, there are two very discrete issues. There's you and there's a relationship. In terms of you going to therapy, I think it's a great idea and get support and work on things. Um, now, in terms of the marriage, obviously, if he's not a willing participant in marriage therapy, it's going to go nowhere. But there's a, there is some good news here. And that is, if you work on the relationship and he really feels that you respect him and really bond and you really meet his needs and he really feels loved, it could be a he'll be much more receptive to working on things and b it could be that alone will will greatly improve things do you guys go spend time together Is this, are you on the poll of how many times you went out what was the answer there um very infrequently and not for lack of trying on my part <laughs> okay um i hate to say this could i make a recommendation <laughs> sure okay would he read a book? Unlikely. Okay, how about a video book? I got this great video book. You sit there and you tell him like this. I want to watch this together with you. Let's just, and it's easy. It's three minute videos are animated. They're, you're going to get one anyway because anyone who asks a question live gets a free copy. You sit there on the couch and you watch it together as a couple. And, it, and it's easy because you see, I'll explain to you why marriage therapy is so threatening to most guys. Because there's a finger pointing, I messed up, I failed, I'm a loser, especially, I just say there's a family culture to that. So most guys are very resistant to therapy, and many guys are very resistant to therapy in general, but for sure when it comes to marriage therapy. So I recognize that. But you see, the beauty of a book is, is it discuss other couples making dumb mistakes, other couples doing things. And it's much easier because it takes the burden of guilt over me I see these other people and it's easy to hear. Try this. Try that with him. Ask him if he'll sit with you and, and, and just what you watch it together. It's entertaining. It's a gate. You just hold it together. You watch it together and just ask him if he'll do that with you and see if it does any good. Okay. So here we have a, a question that came in and I'll read it. It's a little bit long. Bear with me. So here we go. I've been married for just over a year to a wonderful man who is a tzaddik. He has beautiful midas, a patient, forgiving, generous, works hard to avoid conflict. However, there's something that bothers me and makes me unhappy. It may sound funny, but intelligence is very important to me. I always wanted a husband who is really smart. Even though I know there are different types of intelligence and that people can be smart in different ways, I feel like my husband is just not as smart as me overall. He's slower and a little bit spaced out. He has difficult um, problem solving whether it's the technical things or in our relationship, struggles with managing bills, taxes, health insurance, has to review things many times before he can understand them. Sometimes he says things that don't make sense and he can't explain things clearly. I realize this is my problem, not his. It's not fair to him. I want to be a good wife, but I don't know how to overcome these issues. Okay, so this is a serious issue. Uh, but let me give you a little bit of perspective on it. Number one, as you say, there are different functions of intelligence. Women generally are very geschick. They're very organized. They're very, you know, and a lot of times guys, especially when they're first married, aren't. There's a real developmental difference in, in brain between women and men. Certainly in little children, you see it all the time in terms of the, uh, 
both executive functioning and, and also in terms of certain areas of competence. So it could be that in certain areas, you are much more talented than he. I suspect that in other areas, he's more talented than you. But here's a real question. Let's say you were married to Einstein, but Einstein was nasty, selfish, and bratty. How happy would you be? Uh, and I suspect the answer is you would not be happy at all. So I, I think the, the single thing to remember is there are different functions of intelligence and different areas of competence. And just because you're strong in one area doesn't mean you're stronger. He's not stronger in another area. And more than anything, to recognize that the basis of a good marriage is a bonding, a connection, sharing life goals. And smart is wonderful. It's a nice attribute, but it's not the sum all and be all of a happy marriage. And again, if you're married to a brilliant guy who is nasty and selfish, you'd be mighty miserable. And many women are married to nice guys who aren't the brilliant, most competent guys in the world, and somehow they're very happy. So I think it, you have to just keep in mind that uh, your perspective, you know, hopefully it's going to change. First of all, you realize he has many strengths that you don't have. And second of all, you realize that that's not really what the essence of a happy life is about. And hopefully you'll come to respect him for the, his milas. Coach Menachem, does that answer the question? She's not here, so I, she can't rebut or say otherwise. So right. It's beginning for sure. It's, no, step number one. All right. She might say, how do I do that? So that goes to Coach Menachem for you. Make an appointment. Let's go to the next live question. Yes. Hi, Rabbi Schaefer. I have a question. So I wanted to know what a couple should do when they are on two separate levels of religion. Like they're both, they believe in Hashem. They're very like, like I'll, I'll put me as an example. I cover my hair um, with the shadal and like a tichel and my husband like wears a kippah. But like he'll pray three times a day and like I won't. So like he'll always tell me like here, like here's a siddur, like go pray, like it's good for you. Like he'll be like my mini rabbi. <laughs> and like he, you know, went to public school I went to like a, a private school and like, I'll tell him like, you know, like I speak to Hashem, I believe in Hippo de Dud, I don't really like grab a Sidur and it really bothers him. So what should we do in that situation? Okay, so the, the problem, the wrong person's calling me. I mean, he has a problem, not you. I, I can't tell you, I, I can tell him. What, what would I say to him, you want to know? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's a little, you understand why it's a little unfair. All right, fine. Uh, let me give you a, a muscle. I'll give you a muscle from the other way. This is what I usually say uh, to guys. Imagine a woman uh, comes home on Yom Kippur, two o'clock in, in the middle of Yom Kippur day, and she sees her husband on the couch with a ham sandwich in this hand, a cigar in this hand. <clears throat> he takes a bite out of the ham sandwich, takes a smoke on a cigar, and she says, what's wrong with you, Kaiman Jim Kippur? Stop it. Put that down. What's wrong with you? Okay. Is she correct? Absolutely not. It's between him and Hashem. Okay. Now, clearly, I don't have to tell you that eating a ham sandwich on Yom Kippur and smoking a cigar is not right. <clears throat> but right. you are absolutely correct. <clears throat> what he did was wrong, but what she did was also wrong. Why? <clears throat> because she stepped out of the bounds of a marriage. As marriage partners... You are equal partners with different roles, but no one's a boss. No one is the mentor. No one's the rabbi. No one's in charge. 
you're equal partners with different roles. The minute you step into a different role, you might be doing a good job as a rabbi, a police lady, uh, whatever it might be, but you're stepping out of the role of best friends, assuming you love each other. That's the role of marriage partners. Your best friends love each other. Your goal is to be together. And at a certain point, now don't get me wrong, there are certain points when a woman or a man may have a right to say, this is not what I signed up for. This is not the union that I agreed to. And it may be time, in fact, to part ways. I'm not saying in your case at all, but I'm saying it like in that case, if a woman comes home and finds a husband eating a ham sandwich and a ham kipper, it might be that there are such different places that it's time to reconsider where they're going. But that's a decision. But as long as you're best friends who love each other, as long as you're equal partners, no one's a boss. No one has the right to say, it says in the Torah, it's forbidden, do this. That's a fine job for a rabbi, a mentor, a mother maybe. But it's not a job for best friends who love each other. So if your husband were coming to me, I would tell him, first of all, women have a very different approach to, to religion in general. They're more spiritual. They don't need as many external things. And likely her davening is fine as it is. I, I would tell him to lay off is what I would tell him. But of course, he's not coming to me. You are. So what am I going to tell you, you know? So thank yeah. you. Okay. Hey, Rabbi Schaefer, we got a few different versions of this question, but I'm going to ask it. It's a very general question. It's a good question. Everyone says, including Rabbi Schaefer, you spend more time with your spouse, pure time, no interruptions, an hour or two, date night, whatever Nicole is going to improve your marriage. The question is, is that always true? Are there sometimes when spouses with poor communication... Spending time together could actually escalate the situation of fighting. Somebody else just texted me also, like, you know, since COVID, they've just been together all day and it's it's been not good. Is there such a concept of too much time or spending time together and certain couples doesn't work? Okay, so those are two vastly different questions. Um, the question of spending too much time together is yes. COVID was a real problem for many, many couples, even decent marriages and even sometimes good marriages because you just... You spend too much time together. You get it under each other's uh, skin. So there are definitely, I'm a big advocate for couples not spending the whole time together, the whole day together. I'm a big advocate for couples not working together. Uh, I'm a big advocate for people spending, having their own lives and spending a lot of time together as a couple. Now, that question, I would agree that there's oftentimes a good idea to have certain boundaries and to have an office outside of the home and to have your own life. However, if you're finding that a situation that you can't even spend communicate, you can't even spend constructive time together as a couple, you can't go out together, you find you're not able, at that point you need a third party. At that point you need a marriage therapist, you need someone to help you, guide you, because there are points where the communication is lacking, there are too many misunderstandings, and you need a third party to guide you. If you find that your date night is a constant disaster, that might be a very good sign that it's time to get a third party in to help guide you, to help show you what she meant, what he meant, how to say it differently, how to be more sensitive, etc. So I think that would be the rule when you find that happening. I'm mute, I'm mute. I want to get to this question. This is a very tough question. Okay. Are you ready? No, I want an easy question. Hey, there's, there's two interesting questions. I don't want to go first. Um, 
how to balance traditional roles in marriage while allowing for personal growth. My issue is my wife is the breadwinner by far. She's extremely successful at her business, and I have a simple job. I end up doing a lot more of the woman's roles, like getting the kids ready in the morning, you know, shopping, getting ready for Shabbos. Overall, it's working, but I feel like less than. Even my friends will make these jokes at me. Oh, you're such a good house hubby. And it really bothers me. And I also discussed it with my wife, but it is what it is. How do I learn to be okay with the situation and not feel like a loser? Wow. You expect me to answer that? Would Shlomo and Melech have a good answer to that? If you came on the show, that's part of the risk. Oh, boy. Uh, what can I tell you? That, that is a very hard situation. It is a very hard situation when a woman is making a lot more money than a husband. She has a high-powered high job, and he doesn't. Uh, what am I going to tell you? You have to trust Hashem, that Hashem knows what he's doing, and you have to do your best to be soulful. It's not an easy situation. That's not a... What, what am I going to tell you? That's, it's not the natural course. It's not the natural way. Uh, my wife says it regularly. It's, it's, it's not the way Hashem wants it for women to have to... Unfortunately, women have to work today. Unfortunately, that's a part of the reality that we live in. Uh, it's certainly not ideal, and that's a very rough situation. I guess my only suggestion is exactly what we do in every situation. You have to say to your Creator, Hashem, you know what you're doing. You love me more than I love me. You know better than I. What's my best? I accept it and and do your best. It's not an easy situation, and I don't have a quick, uh, boom, <clears throat> magic answer to change it. So um, I'm going to tell you. Okay, it's good enough. We'll take that. All right, you're on. Yeah, I want to know if you go to therapy and the therapist tells you that what you really need is couples therapy. He and your spouse hears it and tells you that you can't talk to this therapist anymore. And it keeps on happening with numerous therapists. For how long do you have to try? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Unfortunately, what you're describing is not that uncommon. Um, unfortunately, it happens. So I have one suggestion. If I would ask you to write a list of those complaints that your spouse has, would you be able to write them down? I'm here, I'm here. I'm sorry? I'll be very honest. At this point, I'm already divorced, uh, but this is what kept on happening. And uh, I saw more therapists than I could count on my fingers. Look, you're at a certain point. Not Listen, I'll be honest with you. There's a mesecta getting written for a reason. There are certain points where either the couple weren't meant to be or they got to a point where they just can't. And, and at a certain point, there are situations where a couple cannot be together any longer, at which point Divorce is, you know, is what's supposed to be. That's it's a part of our reality. My only point in the beginning of the show is that divorce is way, way too common, and many, many times I can't tell how many times I've said to my wife after meeting with a couple, I'll say to my wife, "They're a match made in heaven, living in Gehenna. They're made for each other, like two peas in a pod. They just don't know how to be married, so they're killing each other." And that's what I'm talking about, and that's what the book is about, and that's what the suggestion. However, there definitely are times when a couple get to the point where they're no longer able to function together. And there's a certain point where divorce is the best alternative because 
if it's not getting better, it's only getting worse. So, you know, what am I going to tell you? That's, that is reality. And that's, uh, you know, that is the situation I guess you, you found yourself in. And that's. Thank you. Okay. So here's another question and it is also a long one. So let's do it. I'd like to ask a question that I'm sure a lot of women secretly struggle with too, but isn't spoken about enough. My husband over the last year has put on a lot of weight. This is putting, putting on a strain on, on our marriage for two reasons. Firstly, really bothering me the way he looks at the moment. Doesn't look as good as he would with... Um, I'm, I'm not the type of woman who, who is into the way he looks, but for some reason, this is really making me more distant. I'm not even sure why it's bothering me so much. It could be because of the second reason. He has started to snore, and I'm a light sleeper. I don't do well with interrupted sleep countless times a night. I think this is what is bothering me so much about this weight, about his weight. It is just making me resentful and all. He has tried everything from doctors to sleep apnea testing for his snoring, but ultimately we know it's because he's put on weights, which is making me sleep less, which is getting me annoyed that he won't do anything about it, tries diets extra, but doesn't stick to them, and then makes me think he obviously doesn't care. I know this question may sound silly, but it is causing a strain. I'd love Love to hear any advice and thoughts you have on the matter. Okay, I have a lot of advice on that issue because I have the Baruch Hashem, I have sleep apnea. And I want you to understand something. I am very, I am fit. I work out, I exercise religiously three times a week. And regularly, I'm in great shape. I, I can, I used to be able to outrun my son's, sons-in-laws. I could still, um, and I sleep apnea. Why do I have sleep apnea? Because at a certain age, the tissues just start to, all right, so bottom line is like this. I think, honestly, what's happening here is that you're assuming that the snoring is, well, let, me, let me say this, invariably, there's an element of blame. If only he would change, I wouldn't be woken up. If only he would change, I would be more attracted to him. If only he would change, he wouldn't snore. So first of all, I kind of doubt it. I, first of all, I recommend you highly that you go to a sleep apnea specialist. You say you have... I, I use a mouth device. Some people use a CPAP machine. Don't take sleep apnea too lightly because it's a very serious medical issue. If you deal with it, it's fine. But if you don't, it can be a very real repercussion. So number one, deal with it. But number two, I think honestly, if you recognize that it's very unlikely that he wants to be fat, it's very unlikely that he chose to be 40 or 50 pounds overweight. It's very unlikely that he's happy with that situation. And so here's the question. Why doesn't he just change? Why does he just go on a diet, lose 50 pounds, get in shape? Why doesn't he just do it? And that's when we come to that core recognition that change is very difficult. It's very easy for me to point the finger at you and say, change. You better change. You have to change. But change is very difficult. And just like he has to accept you, you have to accept him. Now, again, from a medical standpoint, I highly recommend you deal with the sleep apnea. But that means, again, it might mean a, a dental device. It might mean a CPAP. But the odds of him losing a lot of weight quickly are pretty slim. Now, should he try? He certainly should. But the simple reality is a lot of women have trouble losing weight. A lot of men have trouble losing weight. And even if they try sincerely, it is very, very difficult. And just like the single most important exercise in your marriage is to point at that mirror and say, I am a difficult person to live with. And what that does is it lets me understand that I'm a flawed person, my spouse is a flawed person, I embrace myself as I am, I embrace my spouse as they are, 
I don't try to change him. I accept him. And it's Hashem. But again, please get, get a professional assessment on sleep apnea part. All right, Yoshi, we got, we're got we going late here. No, are we overtime already? Yeah, we, we charge double now. Oh, we charge double. Okay, next live question, you're on. Yeah, hi. Uh, you hear me? Yes. Thank you for taking my question. Um, I'm married seven years. Me and my spouse have our ups and downs. Um, during Sheva Brachas and the weeks following was the hardest time in our marriage. Um, and every time we uh, get into some type of conflict, um, these negative feelings, they kind of resurface how we started off our marriage on such a bad foot. And if I, I feel like I can't let them go because I, f I have this notion that, you know, when you get married right away, you should have, you know, a great marriage, you know, at least, at least, to, you know, to begin with during the Shabbat breakfast and the weeks after it should be like a honeymoon type of feeling. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and fights, uh, understandably fights would happen after that, but uh, you know, at least initially you would think that it would be, you know, a, a nice marriage. Right. Right. So could I be very blunt? Am I allowed to be honest? Yeah, sure. Welcome to the real world. <laughs> and the real world is it's very, very difficult to be happily married. But you know why? Because marriage takes two human beings who are vastly different, different temperaments, different natures, and puts them together. But not just different people, that opposite genders, opposite ways of looking at things, opposite ways of doing things. I'm too late. She's too on time. I'm too, we're, we're all different. And you put two people together and ask them, to live together in peace and harmony requires a tremendous amount of work. And anybody who tells you, you know, in the world of Hollywood, we fell in love and we were married forever. And it's a, it's a nonsense. It doesn't work. It's not real. Every marriage has struggles. Every marriage has ups and downs. The key is, do you grow? Do you change? If you're now in a vastly different place now, and Baruch Hashem, I got news. If you think your friends had it so great, my friend had a great marriage and, and they were lovey-dovey baloney. I deal with couples all the time. And I can tell you, they look so happy on the outside. You find out what's going on inside. You find out that everybody's got stuff. And the key is to work. The key is to grow. And you learn to live together. You learn to understand your spouse better. And you work on the relationship. And eventually, you get to a point where it's different. If you're in a different place now, good morning. That's exactly where you're supposed to be. I have to be honest with you. I love my wife. My wife loves me. We have a beautiful marriage. We went through a lot of, there was a lot of growth along the way. A lot of things that we had, to, it didn't just happen. We just wake up in love, madly, passionate, know exactly what to do, what to say, how to do, because that's not life. In the real world, there are challenges, there are difficulties, there are fights, hurt feelings, vulnerabilities that aren't met. And as long as you're in a different place now, and as long as you're living properly now, that's great. And I think it's just the fairy tale that's haunting you. So leave the fairy tales for Hollywood. Hollywood, by the way, what's the divorce rate in Hollywood? I'll let you know. If you can't say it, I'll tell you. It's 99.9% .9 for the first That's marriage. The divorce rate higher Hollywood. for the second marriage, right? It's 405%. 405% for the second marriage, right. And the third marriage is even higher, <clears throat> divorce rate. So don't believe that nonsense. I'm telling every marriage has an adjustment period. And many great marriages had rough beginnings or rough patches. It's the key is, can you repair the damage and move on? And that's, I think that's a you issue. And I don't mean to be critical here, but I mean, it's an ability to just say, I get it. That's what everybody goes through as part of life. And you put it into a box and you throw it away at Tashlich and you say goodbye and you move on. Is it easy to do? No, 
but I think that's a, a, sort of like a reality check helps because then you realize it's part of the game. Yeah. So uh, thank you. Yeah, it definitely uh, brings that to light. All right, Tatslachat, you could continue to go beautifully. Amen. Thank you. So here, here's a heavy one. No, that... we had so many heavy ones. A light one. Here we go. I'm sure that whatever you do, this is direct to Rabbi Schaefer. I'm sure whatever you do, you do the Shem Shemayim. But I would like to point stop out. There. I love it. Stop. You can stop right there. Wow. <laughs> he wants to point but, out that. Uh, but, yeah. But he feels that there's a little error that many in our present climate fail to point out to describe the relationship between man and wife merely as merely as friends is not accurate. The Torah says, well, It also says that a wife's role is Ezek Konegdoi. This is the Teva implemented in humankind, and any manipulation by a man can't be successful. Simply say, no one is boss and just loving friends. It's not what a Kodesh Baruch had in mind. Really? Really? Who said so? I'm not a sure. By a great rabbi, who, with all due respect, I, I learned 30 years in yeshiva. I gave shir for 15 years. I, I, <laughs> go on, go on, go on. Yeah. Let me just finish. Yeah. I'm sure you want to help couples, and this is uh, uh, Andrew Mahalak, will only make it worse. Somehow, you have to find a way to deliver this message to today, today's generation in a way that it will be accepted. I'm writing this. This is not to be critical, just to help. Let's stick with his first line. I, <laughs> the first part of Elashem Shemayim was very nice. All right, let me be very candid. If you study the Rambam carefully, you're going to see a description of marriage that is very different than our current world. And I'd like to explain to you why. The Rambam lived about a thousand years ago, and life was different then. Society was different then. People were different then. Expectations were different then. And if you're going to use a formula from, from the Gemara or from an application of the Rambam that is not our world, you're going to come up with some pretty crum ideas. I do not believe what I'm saying isn't that story at all. I learned from my Rebbe, the Roshiva Zetzal, and that was the marriage that I saw he had. Don't get me wrong. The Rebbe had a reverence to Roshiva like no end. I never saw anyone who was a bigger Hasida than the Roshiva Zetzal, than the Rebbe but at the same time, can I tell you a story, Ushi? You ready for this one, Ushi? You got it. This is a great story. You ready for this? I'm I'm a Rebbe in Rochester, and uh, and uh, the Roshiva asked me to start Teres my Torah, the Shmuz. Anyway, what's happening is it's getting to be so. Uh, it's really taking over a lot of my time, and I came to the Roshiva to ask the following question: Should I stop giving Shear and do the Shmuz Teres uh, my Torah full time? So I made an appointment with the Roshiva to tell. And I'm speaking to the Shiva. The Rebbitzin's over on the other side washing dishes. And she's listening to the conversation. And I said to the Shiva, you know, I'm, uh, I'm busy. I give Shia three times a week here, there. And, and, and as a result, I don't have the time to the guys in the high school. Should I stop giving Shia? And Shiva stops for a minute and says, you know, I think you should leave the classroom. I think you should do the Shemus full time. At that point, I hear the water stop in the kitchen. The Rebbitzin walks in. And the Rebbitzin says, is the Shiva certain about that? Shiva strokes his beard and says, yeah, I think so. I think you should leave the classroom. I think you should do the Shmuz full time. Now, let's put this into perspective. I was 40 years old. I was a Rebbe in my own right at that point. I go to ask a Gorobotor, my Rebbe, Shiva Zetzal for an Eitzah. And he gives me an Eitzah. And the Rebbe questions him. In some terms, that would be called mutiny. But the Shiva didn't get all huffy. He said, one second, let me think. Yeah, I think you should. Do you know why? 
because as much reverence and respect that the Rebbitzin had for the Shiva Zatzal, her Shiva Zatzal had for the Rebbitzin, because that was the mutual respect and regard. So what, what am I going to tell you? If you see a marriage like that, you understand how Hashem wants a marriage to be. If you think you're the boss, I'm in charge. It says, uh, it's a, I don't know what, what Pusik you're misquoting, but that Pusik, you look at Rashi on that Pusik, that Pusik is not referring to anything that you think it's referring to. William Shabach is in the limited regard in one aspect that I, I don't want to discuss here, but look in Rashi, you'll see what it's talking about. And there's no such concept. You want to be the boss, you want to be the man in charge, try it somewhere. Let's see how your wife, what, what can I tell you? I, I think it's a lot healthier. Listen, don't get me wrong. You're equal partners with different areas of responsibility. What that means is if you decide one partner should take care of this and certainly the husband's competent, he should be the, in terms of halacha, he should be the, the person who decides halacha. In terms of domestics, or she was always say it's a woman's role and that she's take care, that's her, that's her issue. So, but you're equal partners with different roles and that's, what can I tell you? That's the, uh, that's the formula I know. That's the only thing I've seen from Chazal and it's the only thing I know that works. So what can I tell you? We're going to have three more live questions. I'm squeezing them in because it's late. And then it's we're going to. Um, it's past my bedtime. I'm yeah, sleeping. Past my bed. Okay, you're on. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I really appreciate everything you're saying. Um, I just have a question. I've been working really hard on how I discipline my kids. And one thing I try to do is that I try to calm myself down if I feel very like, you know, upset and things that are going to come out that, you know, I don't want my children to hear. So I try to go to my room and calm down. And sometimes I'll tell my husband like, okay, can you please, you know, deal with this and this, because I, I know whatever I'm going to say is not going to be okay. And I'll leave and I'll go to my room. And then I try not to hear, but I do hear what's going on. And it's just yelling sometimes. And I'm like, oh my God, I just worked so hard to control myself. And he is just going on and on and on. And he knows that I'm trying to, you know, not yell at them. So that defeats the whole purpose. And in general, sometimes also the way he just deals with the children, it's hard for me to respect him when I see um, when this happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, am I allowed to be candid? I'm sorry? Am I allowed to be honest or dishonest? What should I say? Coach no, I want to be honest. Oh, honest? <laughs> I have a question to ask you. Why do you go into the room? Why don't you deal with the children yourself? Because I know I'm going to yell. Oh, I but, need to calm well, down. Yeah, So, but, but your husband deals with it and he yells. One thing. If you would deal with it, what would happen? I would yell. That's why, because he, he's not dealing. One second. No, I, when I'm involved in it, and let's say I am frustrated or whatever, but he, let's say, is just fine. He's like he was doing something else. He's you know totally fine with it, uh-huh. and um, he. So you- he's more. He's in a calm situation. So it's like you know. I mean if you don't mind dealing with it now or just talk to him or just, you know, mm. I'd rather, I know what I'm going to say is going right. to be totally like, I'm not okay to deal with this. Right. So again, but so someone, speak- but the child needs to be dealt with. You're saying like, you're saying 
if you would deal with it, you would you would lose it. So therefore, yeah. you ask your husband to deal with it, and he loses it, and you have a problem. Uh-huh. You see my, <laughs> my question? You see why it sounds a little peculiar to me? But let me be honest with you. I guarantee you, if you yell at your kids, it's not the worst thing in the world. Let me tell you, with all due respect, your kids know they're doing the wrong thing and telling, first of all, I'm not a big advocate for yelling. Don't get me wrong. I think a good discipline system is way better and your children knowing consequences and knowing a dispassionate discipline system, meaning if this is what you do, this is what happens, is a lot more efficient. And I highly recommend you get parenting, use a parenting course, use parenting mentors. We're given a very clear discipline system. If this happens, we do this. If this happens, we do this. Then all of this stuff disappears. But that being said, there will be time when parents, mothers, fathers will lose it on their kids. And guess what? I don't think it's damaging at all. Why? Because a child knows they're doing the wrong thing and the child knows there's a boundary and the child knows they crossed the boundary and the child is being told in very clear terms, stop that. My mother, with all due respect, I was born in a different generation. My mother used to hit me with a hairbrush. And you know what the child abuse was? Zero. I was a happy kid. All my friends were the same way and they were happy kids. Okay, don't do it today. You'll destroy the child. I'm not telling you to do it today. I am telling you, if your husband loses it or you lose it every once in a while, it's not a good idea. I don't recommend it. I recommend a very clear discipline system with their consequences, and that way you don't have to lose it. But I'm also telling you that if you do every once in a while lose it, it's not the worst thing in the world, and it doesn't damage the child. What damages the child a lot more is no boundaries, no limits, and do what you want. Just free reign. That damages the child a lot more. So again, if you could get a mentoring, if you could get a discipline system, ideally a parenting system that teaches you how to set limits and clear consequences without the the need to yell, etc. That's the best thing. However, even if you put that in place, there will be times when you lose it. It's not the end of the world. And provided your child knows that they're safe, that they're happy, that you love them. You yelled at them, correct. They know they did the wrong thing. You got, they got, and it's not the end of the world. But again, I, I think if you put things in perspective, you'll see it could be that you're a little bit, you know, all right, you know what I'm saying? With you and your husband, Okay, but it's not only that time, it's in general the way he disciplines. Okay. So I hear what you're saying that going to someone and having a mentor would help. So I do understand that. Exactly. That's the best idea. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Hey, Rabbi Schaefer, let's go. Let's cover around right. two more. You're on. All right. I'm running out of steam. Me too. Hi. Hi. So thank you so much for this opportunity. Um, my question was, um, my husband had a lot of a, a hard upbringing and then right after we got married, there was a family crisis from his end, and um, it really sent him reeling, obviously. Um, I've been as supportive and patient as I can possibly be. Um, but when I say reeling, I mean, like, at, at this point, like, spends most of his time in bed, not functioning, not really doing much. Um, he's seeing someone currently and so am I and Baruch Hashem, we're doing I think the best we can be doing in this situation but I realized recently like something hit me like a part of me 
is always waiting for like okay i can't like i'm waiting for the time when he'll finally like be like quote unquote normal and back to the kind of person that i married and i don't like i feel like there's something wrong with that i wonder if there's any perspective i can have or any any ideas or suggestions you have well i mean i mean the first thing is mitzvah shem he'll get there hopefully i mean again i don't know what he went through and i don't know what the situation is and i don't know what he's dealing with but but people go through things and and they they come out of it I, again I, I i can't speak with any veracity here because i, I don't know what we're dealing with and, and it, so i'll tell you i'll tell you um so basically um right after we got married his mother got sick and then she she died like a year ago um she was niftar a year ago but um it was really right after our marriage and it really and like based on the position of the family and all that like there's so much involved and like and like just from reading research and all you know there's like that one primary caregiver and his mother was that and not his father at all like his father and him really don't understand each other or whatever so he feels like he lost both parents there's so much involved but um i i want to i i want to enjoy life right now even though it's so beyond not perfect and there's so much struggle and and there's, you know, there's, there's so much I'm out, but I want to, I want to enjoy life right now. And I feel like a part of me is just, oh my gosh, like, okay, when life is normal, like, how, is there any way I can possibly enjoy life right now as it is? Um, obviously you're in a very rough situation and, and enjoying life in a rough situation is, is hard. However, I do recommend that you try to create for yourself as much of a life for this temporary situation as you can find out interests, find hobbies, find things that you enjoy, friends, uh, and things, try to create as best your support system and your, and, and your life, so to speak, as you can. And hopefully within a short time, he'll get out of it. Again, if he's going for therapy, he's working on it, he's getting help, hopefully, and it may be at some point medication may be called for. Uh, a person spending in bed, in bed all day is not a i know so so that's that's like the next question i have is like but really yeah like it's been on my mind more like okay i think you know there's something more at play and i was like he's at a therapist don't you think like somebody should say something or whatever but at some point i was just like okay i'll have to be the one to say it so i did and he's no so so it was a very hard conversation for me to have because i felt like it should come from somebody else and not from me I've been trying to be so supportive and I feel like it's very, you know, supportive to be like, Hey, I think you have a problem, but I try to see it in the most, you know, sensitive way possible. But, but the point is like, okay, so now he knows it, but you know, what, what's due to do it? Like, it's not necessarily helpful with the fact that he knows. You're right. It's not necessarily helpful, but it's something that needs to be dealt with. And it could be that that's not the best therapist. It could be that that's not the right approach. And it could be that you need a new set of eyes because, again, if a fellow loses his mother, okay, I, I get it. You get into a tailspin for a while, a little bit. But if you're spending, you're in bed all day for how long has this been? So it's been, you know, with ups and downs and, and all that in between, but like it's been like, you know, three years. Uh, that's a little bit long. We need, uh, we need to deal with this in a very different way. We need to get someone in who can assess the situation and direct things differently because that's not okay. Three years in bed, you know, mother, I get it, but uh, three years in bed is not functioning. And it may call for medication, may call for a totally different approach, but right now we're not dealing with it. So I, I highly recommend you get someone in who can help you 
to deal with this in a uh, in, in a much more concrete way, hopefully in a much more effective way, because this doesn't sound like a solution at all. Okay, and I guess my, my third question is, like, I brought it up before to him, like, you know, maybe we should see a couples therapist together because we're going through something hard. Like, I'd want to only get, like, stay closer and not grow apart. And he just feels like he is in such a sensitive place. And, like, because of the situation, I'm in such a sensitive place that, like, it's not a great thing to go to somebody when you're both in such a sensitive place. And I guess also he feels like he's going to sit down on the chair and um, and, and what's going to happen is he's going to be the bad guy in the story because like, he's the one that's not performing. Okay. Well, many times when you have a situation like this, there's a dynamic of the marriage. That's one issue that is here has nothing to do with what's going on. There's a he problem here. He has to deal with that problem. He has to solve that. He has to work on that. And after that, you can work on the relationship issue. But the idea of this doesn't sound like a marriage problem, it sounds like a heat problem. And you can't solve a heat problem by going for marriage therapy, um, meaning how to deal with a heat problem when you might be helpful to have a therapist. But again, he's got to deal with his issue and you have to get him the help that he needs. Because again, right now, until that comes under, under some elements of control, you're not going to get anywhere. So I think you have okay. to deal with that head on and. and Good. Last question of the night. You're up. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been married a a long time. I've been working on my marriage. Um, It's pretty good. But my husband, when he loses his temper, he either yells, which like kind of puts me down a lot, or just ignores me. And I kind of like never know what to do there. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, have you spoken to him about it? Sort of, yeah. <laughs> sort of um, just, um, you know, like I don't, I feel very insulted when that happens, but doesn't make it. No, no, wait, wait. I'm asking a very pointed question. Have you sat down with your husband and said, when you say X, Y, and Z, it makes me feel like that. Have you sat down with him? Maybe a long time ago, but not recently. Okay, so I know this may sound hard to believe, but but what if I tell you, he may not be aware of, you see, it's very, when I get angry, I lose it. I view things differently. I feel differently. And I say words and I don't realize the impact of my words. I think you as a spouse should sit down with him when things are calm and say to him, you know, I just want you to know, and when you say X, Y, and Z, it tears into the essence of me and it rips me apart. And for weeks afterwards, I can't get over it. Maybe if I were different, and I'm, I'm not blaming you, but I, but if I were, and if it could be if I were different, it wouldn't bother me so much, but I just want to share with you that it rips into the essence of me and it's hard for me to recover. I think it's very important that you communicate to him because I have a sneaking suspicion that he may not be aware of the damage, even though to you it's so obvious, I have a sneaking suspicion that he's not aware of the damage that he's doing. Right. I, I hear that. And the problem is that sometimes when he perceives something as a criticism, then he like criticizes me back. You know, that kind of idea, like best offense is good defense. Is, I mean, best defense is good offense. Okay. So I have a, there's a chapter in the video book. It's in the book as well. How to, when you have to have difficult conversations, how to do it. It's preceded by three compliments, and it's said in a way, I don't mean this in any negative sense, 
and you're the best thing that ever happened to me. I'm, I wouldn't trade you anything in the world. And, but there's one thing that if it were different, it would make me feel better. And it could be I'm too sensitive. And it could be I'm, the, but I just want to share with you what I'm experiencing. Mm -hmm. I think you owe it to your husband and yourself to be honest with him. Because again, unless you deal with it, it's not going to change. Right, right. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, thank you. I'm, uh, I'm, wait, wait, wait. We got to wrap it up. We got to wrap up, Rabbi Shaper. Let's do a wrap up. Okay. Let's do a wrap up. We're going to go to closing and then uh, we need to clarify some things. Rabbi Shaper can leave a few different words of Chizik. First of all, Gracious Shaper, I've been seeing Shaper coming on tonight, giving tremendous Chizik. There was a tremendous amount of people here tonight. Thousands thousands of people will hear this. Rabbi Shaper, your words and your Kaychas really impact people. I mean, people read the books, people listen, it's, it's you know, and we always need chizik in this, in this topic. This is the topic, you know what I mean? So thank you for coming on. Again, if anybody wants to join the WhatsApp, get the, get it every Sunday, WhatsApp me at 848-525-0066 and I'll send you every Sunday the flyers. You can go to menachemberfield.com if you want to sign up to get the emails every week. Again, for everybody's here the first time, every Sunday night at 9.30 on this Zoom ID, we have Rabbanim, therapist. I'm telling you next week, we're going to have the most amazing program. It's going to be Erev Pesach. And the guest speaker is, I have no idea yet, but it's going to be unbelievable. It's supposed to be Rabbi YY, but he, he texted me last week that the Arab face doesn't work for him, but Metshem, it's going to be something amazing. So please join us, let people know. Again, everything will be recorded on menachemberfield.com. If anybody has any questions, you can email coachmenachemagimo.com. Rabbi Shafer will put it up on Torah anytime on his uh, on his uh, link over there under his share. Again, tonight's share is 138. If anybody wants to listen on the phone, it'll be up on the phone lines uh, later tonight or tomorrow morning at 848-777-GROW. And Rabbi Schaefer, a few questions, just to answer these before we go to closing. Number one, if anyone wants to get in touch with Rabbi Schaefer, how do they get a hold of you, Rabbi Schaefer? Uh, so the best way is by email, Rebbe at the schmooze.com, R-E-B-B-E at the schmooze.com, T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com, R-E-B-B-E at the schmooze.com. Now, to all the people that ask live questions, they should email who to get the book with the question and their information. Rina at the schmooze.com, R-E-N-A, Rina at the schmooze.com. T-H-E-S-H-M-U-Z.com. It's just okay. funny. Second, one second. Yeah. Okay, I also want to thank the advertising sponsor, like the Scoop, Elena Ariel from Five Town Central, Kyla Kao from JCN. Rabbi Shaper, like I said, it was an unbelievable share. Rabbi Shaper, every time you come back, it's like new chizik. We, 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 we suck everything out of you. We get whiter and whiter every time you come back. But Shreya for coming in, Coach Menachem. Let's give a closing, then we'll give it up to Rabbi Shaper to, to wrap up. Yes. Thank you very much. And, um, we heard a lot of, uh, sometimes it was very direct tonight, honest, and it's not always um, easy to hear. I do want to mention that if you married someone and you want them to change, and you listen tonight and you said, don't try to change them, you know, whatever you've learned tonight, that you have to realize it's not easy. It's hard. And like we heard many, many people asking questions that at the end of the day, what am I supposed to do while they're not doing what they're doing? So what am I supposed to do? So there is, you know, while you're waiting or just the idea to understand, listen, he has flaws, you have flaws, I have flaws, we all have flaws. To accept the flaws is not easy. And to be able to accept, sometimes there's that grief process. That means I wanted A, I realize it's B. So you're always back and forth. I'm not happy, but they told me I shouldn't change. I shouldn't try to change my spouse, but I really do want to, but I can't. So you're back and forth. But to really to get to, get to that acceptance, to a place to accept the person for who they are, 
even though you don't really like it. So it's a process. And like we heard, it takes time. And sometimes there is a little bit of depression before we go through that acceptance. And that's okay. But we really need acceptance. And to be able to accept our spouse, it starts with self-acceptance. Like we heard, go to the mirror, realize we have flaws, I have flaws, and to really accept that. Accept that. So if you can accept it on yourself, slowly you'll be able to accept it on your spouse. So thank you very much, Rabbi Schaefer, and Mitzvah Mitzvah will be able to take what they need to grow in Mitzvah Shem. Good. Rabbi Schaefer, after two and a half hours of this, all these questions and everything, encapsulated, closing it, the only take away with them. Okay, here we go. I want to share with you the most powerful words I've ever heard, the most romantic words I've ever heard. And the Roshiva Zetzal was seven years older than the Rebetzin, and the Roshiva was ill for many years, and everyone knew what was going to happen. And the Roshiva was going to pass away and leave the Rebetzin and Almana. Uh, that's not what happened. What happened was the Rebetzin took ill at a certain point and very quickly passed away, and I watched my Rebbe, the Roshiva Zetzal, get up to say a husband for his wife. Now, you have to understand, we were Talmidim. We were very close. The Roshiva did not have children. We were, I was in the house all the time. I saw the Roshiva and Rebetzin as close as you could see. They, were, they had the most incredible marriage, the most incredible respect, the most incredible... Okay. Roshiva Zatzal gets up and he begins saying as follows. Everything we did, we did together. We built the Yeshiva together. We built the Talmidim together. Everything we did, we did together. We entered stroll together. Everything we did, we, I didn't have to worry about my health. I didn't have to worry about my food. My wife worried about my food more than I did. She worried about my health more than... Everything we did, we did together. He must have said that expression... 12, maybe 14 times. And then he said these words. I said a hespid. I said a eulogy for my father. I said a hespid for my mother. I cannot say a hespid for my wife. <clears throat> saying a hespid for my wife is like saying a hespid for myself. I can't do it. And he sat down. And with those words, he described a Torah marriage. <clears throat> One unit, bonded, connected, totally together. It takes many, many years of work. And it takes learning how to avoid the 10 really dumb mistakes that very smart couples make. And it takes a tremendous amount of self-growth. But that's the ultimate goal. And marriage is supposed to be the most harmonious, most supportive relationship in existence. It takes a lot of work because I got to work on stuff. My spouse has to work on stuff. But Hashem wants us to succeed. Hashem helps. You do your job. You work hard. And eventually, it's Hashem, you get there. May Hashem guide us to get to that point. And may Hashem allow us to have that type of marriage. Beautiful, beautiful story to end with. Everybody have a great week. Get ready for Pesach. We'll see you on Erev Pesach, April 2nd. Thank you, Coach Menachem. Thanks much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay.